that. That's one. That's yeah. one point of view, Cheryl. But let, yeah, let, I mean, this yeah, it's is... valuable. It's a commodity, but it's a, it's about also connections and relationships and engagement. So. Yeah, yeah. and here, and culture back, and culture and culture. Otherwise, uh, uh, you can't do much of a business here in Ethiopia. You really have to be respectful. So, um, not just the time. <laughs> Okay. Sometimes not important, only life. Okay, here we go. You, well, there, there's a there's a good quote in there as well somewhere. Like some some people, you know, spend all their time living no life at all, and some people put years of life into you know a day. So mm. the yeah, it's about the quality more than the actual quantity. So let's uh, go through. You the... want your air horn, Tyler? Yeah, if I have it, let's see if I even have it. I do. There it is. Okay. okay. Let's do this. No, the biggest story at this moment is from Axios. And and by the way, happy Friday, October 8th, 2021. And the biggest story is from Axios. The headline says Google and YouTube say they will prohibit ads and monetization on content that denies climate change starting next month. Very interesting. This is a new, and what's very interesting is just if not long ago, they did the same for all anti-vaccines, not just COVID vaccines, but all vaccines. So all anti-vax stuff has been taken off and now all anti-climate change is going to be demonetized. What's next? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some heavy moderation and policing now going into effect over there at YouTube. It, interesting move. I'm curious to see where else this might develop on the web with Twitter and whatnot. And it it inspires a, a potential debate because, uh, yeah, here's why. In a way, this maybe not so obvious. In is is quote unquote deplatforming people. Okay, you have people with unsavory views, and let's assume they're wrong. Okay, they're wrong. The 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 climate deniers. Let's just assume they're wrong. If they are wrong, when it comes to Twitter and debating them on Twitter, for example, uh, is is silencing them the right or optimal course of action to address that problem? Or is there a perhaps a more optimal way to address uh, issues? Because these won't be the only issues, the anti-vax issue and the climate issue. I'm sure there will be others where we have to figure out as a, as a, as a global, I mean, because it's kind of a global phenomenon. It's just not, it's not a uniquely a U.S. thing. How to deal with uh, views I say this because I'm concerned that the strong approach that these platforms are taking ends up itself becoming fuel for their fire politically when it comes time to voting <laughs> for political offices, where it, uh, it exacerbates and inflames their position and, entra- and, and that kind of they, they solidify their position and uh, they, you know what I'm saying? 
I think I think many of us have witnessed this. If you listen into some of the rooms that um, Ellen and I tend to hang out in, uh, when when they're met with uh, kind of strong resistance from authorities, it it just it kind of entrenches their view even stronger. Adult oppositional defiant disorder. <laughs> is that the actual name? So, oh. so the, there, there is something I think in the DSM for children, oppositional defiant disorder. But I've seen that there is like an adult version of it. I thought I was just making the adult version up, but uh, to describe them. But apparently, it's been recognized by others. I I kind of like that, uh, and maybe by adult defiant disorder. What was it? Uh, adult oppositional defiant disorder. I think you. I think you just figured it out. DSM three or four? Was that? Yeah. D, what are we up to? DSM six now. I think seven. Yeah. Wow. Like ten. Actually, yes, I think it's DSM seven and ICD ten. Are we up to seven? Jesus. Uh, when I was in school, I remember it was like three, and we were going to four. But the. I think it's a real thing, and I think it's something to think about, and, and it's similar, not totally dissimilar to the counterintuitive nature of criminalizing, uh, you know, the war on drugs, for example, whereby, you know, strong authority position of banning it versus the countries like Amsterdam, you know, the Netherlands, and now Portugal, who have seen dramatic reductions in illegal drug usage precisely when they decriminalized it i was wrong it's five dsm five okay six is due i think 2020 but it may be delayed i just wonder if we're unintentionally unwittingly uh making things even more problematic for ourselves by quote unquote softly criminalizing unsavory views Okay, just a thought. <laughs> that, that one, no one got a reaction to that. <laughs> yeah, that kind of failed to spark a debate. <laughs> Can you say that one more time there, Tyler? One yes. more time. Softly criminalizing. Go ahead. The unsavory views. Uh, like, uh, yeah. You, Google and YouTube say that we'll prohibit ads and monetization on content that denies climate change starting next month. Okay. Um, and it, it's... I guess it's also related to the fact that yesterday there was a headline from Google that Google was doing, adding some climate aware features to many of their products, right? There was four of them that I recall. Google Maps is now going to show you the most fuel efficient way to get somewhere. Google Travel is going to show you how many uh, kilograms or tons of CO2 is uh, related to your booking of a flight when you're booking a flight. And there was two others that escaped me at the moment, but in this obviously is related. This is a Google product called YouTube, and this is something YouTube is doing. Why wasn't it announced as uh, part of those announcements yesterday of things going on across the Google uh, network? Uh, of of things to deal with climate change, and it makes me obviously they they somebody high up at Google said okay I want every product team in the company to think about how 
the products could be more green. And then they each came up with different things. And we were, you know, and here's YouTube's. Why was YouTube's delayed and not considered as part of the original announcement yesterday? Tyler, despite so few people taking the bait on this, it is obviously a fascinating topic, though, because well, firstly, let me just unpick what you were trying to say before. Are you trying to say that if you criminalize it because of this potential disorder, that there'll be some people who it glamorizes the, 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 the topic for that would otherwise have been inactive? Is, is that the angle you're coming at? Yes, it's it's uh, that, well, this this might this is more uniquely an American trait where if you tell us we can't have something, then we want it far more. Yeah, fuck you, I want it. But the yeah. bigger thing is, it is it is fascinating. Some might say discussion... some might say Bitcoin applies to this as well in some sense. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that was kind of what I was starting to think. I mean, clearly, I'm pro pro vax, pro pro sorting out the climate, but also pro decentralization of currency. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but the it's really interesting to think about whether Google has got more data about the planet than anybody else. And maybe if you make your decisions based on data, that's a good standpoint. So there's definitely an argument that someone like Google maybe should do this with certain topics. And then of course you've got the complete opposite argument. Yeah. But data is not in terms of what you should believe and, um, and shoulds in general, and uh, I don't know, it's just a deep topic, and I'm not really sure we, where to even start on it. So yeah. there is something below the surface here, despite the fact it didn't start a debate. There clearly is a pretty broiling debate just below the surface, if we could get the right angle on it. But anyway. Uh, just a, just a, a wedge into this discourse. The thing is here that just by having a lot of data doesn't mean you could take, do accurate procedures do accurate prediction of what is actually happening. The thing is that you need analy analysis of it on a very, very high depth. Uh, so so the, the, just by claiming we have a lot of data uh, and by there, the, the majority of the data we have point in this direction doesn't mean that make it true. The thing is that you'd still need to take both into calculations because this is, uh, in fact, the, the Green Movement has been hijacked by the left wing. So, so the thing is here that ah. everything here is biased, really, really, really biased. Sorry, sir. Yeah, this is an interesting point. <clears throat> and, and I wonder in which other countries this might apply. But you're right that in the U.S., issues that shouldn't be political at all, like climate change, have become very political, where one party embraces it more than the other. So... In the case of the Democrats are far more in favor of climate change, uh, like awareness and policies. And that is forcing the other side to say, oh, well, that's you're pro it. So we, by extension, must be against it, which they shouldn't feel that way at all. Actually, it shouldn't be a political issue. But it, but by YouTube embracing this, they're now un, un, un without uh, meaning to kind of positioning themselves as more pro-democrat and then the republicans say oh youtube's doing that oh well obviously youtube is anti-gop and against republicans no not at all but you see where this goes where where you get into a world where everything gets uh, balkanized into uh black and white for one side or the other this kind of uh Nothing can be, there's no middle ground on any issue except hating Facebook. It seems to be the only issue that uh, both <laughs> parties can seem to agree on. us together. <laughs> A okay. common enemy. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, on a related note, uh, I found a, a more optimistic headline that Norway to hit 100% electric vehicle cells early next year. So in the next few months, Norway will achieve 100% electric vehicle cells, which is no surprise to anyone who's ever been anywhere near Norway. Um, and kudos to them. I'm, and if, if, if you take one thing out of tech news around the world, <laughs> aside from my affection for Sweden... Uh, just know that Norway is just, holy cow, living in the goddamn future. These very fortunate individuals um, that are normally incredibly quiet and intentionally reserved in revealing just how ahead of the rest of us they are in the class, uh, the A-plus students <laughs> that they are. So uh, well, that's why uh, that's why they're uh, uh, most of the time every year they're number one in the human development index. Uh, that that's one of uh, it's hard uh, to find a, a meaningful yeah. ranking of nations where they aren't number one. <laughs> so the next biggest headline today is from uh, uh, well, many people reporting this: Microsoft acquires Ali or Ali. A-L-L-Y, whose software helps companies track and hit their goals. Simple enough. And next one is developer says that Facebook banned him for life and threatened to sue him after he made a browser extension. You know, for Chrome, he made a Chrome extension. That, and why would they ban him for making a Chrome extension? Well, this Chrome extension allowed Facebook users to unfollow things very easily, like unfollow things that you previously liked or peep friends. It made it very easy to kind of scale back your Facebook sphere. So they've banned them permanently for life for making this. Well, I guess that's uh, their, their wherewithal to do that. Uh, but he wants it to be known uh, just how, well, there's uh, there was an, I remember, I fondly remember doing a podcast, Jesus, 2009-ish, maybe eight, actually, uh, with my friend Jason. And to tr he wanted to experiment, like, to stop using Facebook, to un to get off of Facebook. And it's, it's incredibly difficult. They make it incredibly difficult, ne nearly impossible. And even when you think you've finished you haven't and it was somewhere in the order of 30 to 35 steps of clicking yes i really want to stop yes undo this yes click and, it, and i mean it took substantial time and commitment to do it and even when you thought you were done you still weren't done on in multiple steps and then even when you really think you're done uh, you find out that if you go to log into any website that previously you logged into through Facebook Connect, uh, ah, you're actually using Facebook again. So we just brought it back for you just, just to make it easy for you. So it's like sinisterly impossible to get off of Facebook. Uh, so, they, yeah, they they don't they don't take that lightly. People stopping their Facebook. And maybe that's why they're up to three point five billion <laughs> users, because none of them can figure out how to get off of it. So not only that, Tyler, um, I can't even get my, my mom has been dead since 2018. She's still flipping has a Facebook account and they won't take it off. So like there are dead people on Facebook. Ah, 
And every year I get notified, oh, she has a birthday coming up. I'm like, well, that's nice. She's dead. Like, it's kind of yuck. I wonder if she's able to see ads, if people are, if people who run ads uh, have a lot of former Facebook accounts, you know, viewing their ads. It could be kind of interesting. Yeah, maybe she will order something and send it to you, Tyler. If, if that, now, that if, if Amazon can figure that out, uh, whoever figures that startup out, like gifts from your, you know, l- the previous, you know, nearest and dearest, you know, loved ones, that would be wild. Uh, or, oh, my goodness. How about this? There is. There How, is already, wait, wait, Tyler. Wait, wait, what do you mean? Well, they can always modify like Amazon when you order things, right? You can actually set a routine like delivery. Yeah. So if you set it every year, so every year you'll get something. Well, no, no. You could do another thing, which is I'm going to buy you something, but you're only going to receive, but you don't know I bought it for you and you won't receive it until it it checks with me each year on your birthday. So on Cheryl's birthday, I, I buy something for Cheryl and the whole thing is, uh, I'm buying it, but I only want it to be sent after I'm dead. But I'm going to pay for it now. But they're going to check with me and make sure that if I'm alive, uh, you know, I can say, no, don't send it now, don't send it now. And then the year that I don't say, don't send it now, it sends it to you and you get the present the year after I've died that you get this present. And, you know, of course, there's some very creepy message inside that, you know, will give you nightmares for the rest of your life. So wow, this, this is this is good. Yeah, I'm thinking that this is a hit there, Tyler. A hit. <laughs> you you want you want to see me cry when you're not around, right? <laughs> right, some really really disturbed kind of gift giving service. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> the next one is Microsoft reaches an agreement with investor advocacy nonprofit called As You Sew to make its devices easier to fix. Increasing access to spare parts and repair docs. And my God, for those who don't know what's going on with this, this is quite comical. Microsoft is intentionally now, This is there's now been multiple examples of Microsoft voluntarily doing what the governments and everyone's talking about making Apple doing. Everyone's talking about making Apple, making it easier to fix their devices so that people can fix their own devices, take it to non-Apple stores to fix their devices. This is a big issue. Apple really doesn't want to do that. Really, really, really doesn't want to do that. And they're willing to take that to the Supreme Court if necessary. They're going to fight that all the way to the top, right? And here comes Microsoft. Hey, everybody, we just got a quick little announcement. We're just going to make it easy for everyone to fix all of our devices. And Apple wakes up this morning. Tim Cook just woke up and read that headline and said, God damn, you sneaky bastards have done it again. And they, because of the story two weeks ago, Microsoft had a headline. Oh, hey, guess what, everybody? We're just going to let anyone open an app store inside of Windows if anyone wants to open one. By the way, that's the other huge issue that's befronting Apple at the moment. Every government's thinking about forcing Apple to do the same. And here comes Microsoft's announcing just out in the open. Hey, guess what, everybody? Guess what we're doing? We're just going to allow you to do this thing that uh, clearly everyone's thinking about forcing Apple to do, and they're obviously not going to They're going to fight you to the nail against that. But we're just announcing we're doing it. But they make these announcements without even mentioning Apple. But as a geek who follows the space, you know that Microsoft's doing this just to antagonize Apple. Chris? 
back me up on this one. Microsoft reaches an agreement uh, to make its devices easier to fix, increases access to spare parts and repair documents. Exactly what Apple's fighting to do. This is like next level trolling. This is next level trolling to the extreme. Mega companies trolling each other. Causing incredible headache. Uh, This will not be the last. And by the way, Apple believes that the Epic Games lawsuit was actually really motivated by Microsoft. That Microsoft is really the one in the background kind of being the Svengali pulling the strings on that whole trial. So Apple believes Microsoft is doing a lot of subversive. They were Apple already was hinting, ah, oh, we know what's going on here. And there was, there's this really interesting spat going on in the background between Apple and Microsoft. And, and this adds more credence and evidence to that argument. So it's, this is fun to watch. The next one is from Ars Technica, U.S. federal judge rules that Cloudflare is not liable for copyright infringement between websites that use its services. Obviously, why should it be? A judge rules content delivery service doesn't contribute to copyright infringement. No, obviously it doesn't. That's like saying, you know, if I stole uh, Eli's avatar and used it as my own, that clubhouse is somehow responsible for that no it's i'm the i'm the idiot i'm the jackass and clubhouse didn't allow isn't responsible for me doing that just like uh, a cdn as they're called a content uh just distribu- distributing network network um content delivery network rather uh are not responsible for the how the users that use their services use it that that's just that was a stupid case. I, I'm curious who who was trying to get Cloudflare to uh, appear to be responsible for such a thing. It, they were sued in 2018 by Mon Cherie Bridles and, and Maggie Sotero Designs, two wedding dress manufacturers and sellers that alleged that Cloud, Cloudflare was guilty of contributory copyright infringement because it didn't terminate services for websites that infringed on the dressmaker's copyrighted designs. The company sought a jury trial, but Judge Vince Cabaria yesterday granted Cloudflare's motion for a summary judgment in the ruling. And the judge noted that the dressmakers have been harmed by the proliferation of counterfeit retailers that sell knockoff dresses using the plaintiff's copyrighted images and that they have gone after the infringers in a range of actions, but to no avail every time a website is successfully shut down, a new one takes place. Yes. Well, let me explain something to somebody who had a clothing company in 2123. There is no protection. If you get into the fashion game for even a minute, you're going to be copied constantly by every big brand under the sun. This is incredibly uh, endemic in the fashion world. Everyone's copying everyone constantly, 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 constantly. And there's no intellectual property in fashion. If you make a design of a dress and somebody else makes another similar design for a dress, there's not much recourse because you have to make a whole new series of, of designs in three months for next season. 
So every fashion house in the world is making 20, 30, 40, 50 designs every 12 weeks. Tyler, I had friends who were buyers for Target back in the day. And for people in the U.S. market, you may know that Target has done an exceptional job of locking in the female customer. And so what my friends would do is that they would go to the big shows in Paris and Milan and New York, and then they would go to China. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and so... So that way, when let's say a mom or an aunt or a woman, you know, goes in to buy some paper towels, the first department that she hits is kind of this trendy fashion department. And they explicitly, you know, made knockoffs of sorts. I mean, maybe not something you'd find in, you know, a certain part of certain cities, but, but they were strongly inspired by the runway fashion. And so then instead of going into the store and spending $5 on toiletries, you know, the average customer will walk out with $120 worth of toiletries and, you know, a new top and some flip-flops. So, I mean, so, so yeah, so not only do designers and brands do it, but entire, you know, retail operations, you know, have benefited from this model. Well, an interesting point of revelation in this article is that they're going after the infringers based on the use of copyrighted images that they're trying to protect their intellectual property by claiming, ah, that image belongs to me. So you can't use that image. Okay, great. Then take a new, take a new photograph of your new dress that you stole from them. And then you're not using the image. Yes, Robert. Yeah, this is an important case. Um, I think we need more cases like this, especially with the outcome that actually the way it came out as, um, as more of these things arise, you know, and um, I'm very optimistic about this, but we need more cases like this to to define things and also maybe it'll help Congress as they write laws. I'll give you another example. The whole food chef, you know, Michelin star chef industry. There's you're not copywriting recipes (laughs) because there's so much in, I mean, who, who has the copyright on the fucking peanut butter jelly sandwich. So, Good luck with that. Recipes are not able to right. copyright a recipe. Or, or a right? birthday like cake. Can, can I please buy the copyright for the birthday cake or the patent? Can I try and patent recipes or fashion designs? No, it doesn't. There's nope. way too much innovation that's going on globally year after year after year after year after year. The courts would just be overwhelmed on uh, cheesecake alone. So... No, it does, you, we can't do it. It doesn't work like that. And by the way, that argument that I'm proposing, just the absurdity of trying to intellectually propertize and, you know, recipes and fashion outfits, because everyone's wearing different clothes and clothes are constantly being made all over the planet all the time and foods are being made all over the world all the time. This is, in some sense, why uh, some Far East Asian countries feel like the whole concept of uh, intellectual propertizing anything is a little bit strange that they come at it from that sort of approach. So uh, the next article, shall we? That, that is an interesting one. Is Microsoft says Russia carried out 58% of detect. This is from AP, Associated Press. Microsoft says Russia carried out 58% of detected state-backed hacks in in the year ending. June 30th, because Microsoft, like many big, big 
you know, Fortune 500 companies, their annual cycles end uh, at the end of June and uh, their financial year cycle. So they say the year ending June 30th, that 58% of detected state-backed hacks were carried out by Russia with 32% success rate. (laughs) Uh, China accounted for 8% of hacks. Russia accounted for the most state-sponsored hacking detected by Microsoft over the past year with 58% share. Let's see who came in third place. And and this is what Microsoft was able to detect, right? Which is probably, you know. Yes. So uh, Russia accounted for most state-sponsored hacking detected by Microsoft over the past year with a 58% share, mostly targeting government agencies and think tanks in the United States, followed by Ukraine, Britain, and European NATO members, the company said. The devastating effects of the long undetected solar winds hack, to your point, Chris, sometimes there's massive hacks that go undetected. And solar winds was undetected for uh, more than a year. It mainly breached information technology businesses, including Microsoft. Also also boosted Russian state-backed hackers' success rate to 32% in the year ending June 30th, compared with 21% in the preceding 12 months. So they're getting better. That the hacker's success rate has gone from 21% to 32%. China, meanwhile, accounted for fewer than 1 in 10 of the state-backed hacking attempts Microsoft detected but was successful 44% of the time in breaking into targeted networks, Microsoft said in its second annual Digital Defense Report, which covers July 2020 through June 2021. While Russia's prolific state-sponsored hacking is well-known, Microsoft Microsoft's report offers unusually specific detail on how it stacks up against that by other U.S. adversaries. The report also cited ransomware attacks as a serious and growing plague While the United States, by far the most targeted country, hit by more than triple the attacks of the next most targeted nation, ransomware attacks are criminal and financially motivated. By contrast, state-backed hacking is chiefly about intelligence gathering, whether for national security or commercial or strategic advantage. Remember what I said about intellectual property? And thus generally tolerated by governments with U.S. cyber operators among the most skilled, the report by Microsoft, which works closely with Washington government agencies, does not address U.S. government hacking. The SolarWinds hack was such an, an embarrassment to the U.S. government, however, that some Washington lawmakers demanded some sort of retaliation. President Joe Biden has had a difficult time drawing a red line for what cyber activity is permissible. He has issued vague warnings to Vladimir Putin to get him to crack down on ransomware criminals, but Several top administration cybersecurity officials said this week that they have no have seen no evidence of that. Overall, nation state hacking is about 10 to 20 percent success rate. According to Microsoft Digital Security Unit, which is focused on nation state actors, it's something that's really important for us to try and stay ahead of and keep driving that compromise number down because the lower it gets, the better we're doing. Godwin finds China's geopolitical goals in its recent cyber espionage especially notable, including targeting foreign ministries in Central and South America countries where it is making Belt and Road Initiative infrastructure investments and universities in Taiwan and Hong Kong, where resistance to Beijing's regional ambitions is strong. The findings further belie an obsolete and as obsolete any conventional wisdom that Chinese cyber spies' interests are limited to pilfering intellectual property. 
Russian hack attempts were up from 52%. Da, da, da. It looks like North Korea was second as country of origin at 23%, even above China. Mm-hmm. Tyler? Yes. Can you check the hand raise, please? Well, when you've when you've got full ownership of the servers at an interstitial PCB layer, you really don't need to do much hacking. Okay, next one. Let's see, we got Aaron in there. Who who were you? Who? Oh, Michelle. And then on the and then of note of note about Microsoft, most of the China involvement involved application of Exchange servers. So these things were actually done with authorized credentials. They weren't hacked. They were just had a switch flipped on. So Hillary Clinton's uh, server, supposedly, that implicated a lot of CIA operatives um, had that that replication turned on. And we had 12 operatives um, uh, uh, basically executed in China. Uh, This was in like 2002 or three or no, early Obama. So, yeah, this has happened for a long time. Sloppy, very sloppy on her part. Okay, next one up is from Gizmodo. How WhatsApp became a popular messaging app in the global south, driven by high device compatibility and telecom partnerships. Well, I think that says it all right there in the headline. They do a lot of telecom partnerships, and maybe Michelle, who uh, in the audience or now on stage, could, might know, uh, give us a little hint as to why WhatsApp is so goddamn popular yeah, all over the planet. Yeah, I think the the telco, I think the telco partnership might have to do with that in some, I yeah, in, in some I would say emerging countries. But I also think it's because of the cost of communication um, at the end of the day. So, because uh, there's a telco partnership for all our family of apps, not just WhatsApp. So that's why it's always pre-installed on the phone. And um, and they also use it sometimes as the main customer service channel as well in some countries. So I wouldn't just attribute the growth to WhatsApp to the telco partnership. I'll say it's much broader than that, but but it's but it's relevant, yeah. It'd be really interesting to see a growth trajectory um, map because I'm I'm thinking back to the days of Blackberry. Who was that? I'm thinking back to when Blackberry, you know, so there was BBM. <laughs> And then there were people that didn't have Blackberries, right? And, and and I knew of people that used WhatsApp because WhatsApp was still, it was on the scene before Facebook acquired it. So I, I wonder whether in places where, you know, there wasn't a strong Blackberry penetration because of the cost of that particular phone, um, there was early adoption in particular markets because WhatsApp was device agnostic. So this article... Uh, makes a point that I think everyone's familiar with, which is how the the Facebook empire is perceived quite differently in the developing world. Uh, and I, it's an interesting way that they phrase it here and pay close attention, although it's obvious at this point that media, you know, tech journalists hate big tech generally, and you'll definitely get that impression from this paragraph here. It says, for those based in the so-called global north, a squishy socioeconomic phrase that encompasses countries like the U.S. and Canada, the news likely came as a relief 
when Facebook went down, you may know Facebook as an awful site with awful design that's full of awful people. And the less time anyone spends on it, the better. But if you live in places like Brazil, Uganda and other and any other country in the global south, Facebook's services aren't just apps where your weird uncle goes to share Trump memes. In fact, they're not apps at all. They're utilities. Their communication and commerce and newspapers and, ye and yellow pages all at once. So when all of that goes down in one fell swoop, you're not relieved. You're panicked. And if you have loved ones on the other side of that north-south divide, you're probably panicked too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, actually, in in certain countries, Facebook is the portal to access the internet. So like in Vietnam, my colleagues there can't get on the internet unless they go through Facebook. I don't know how that works, but yeah. Because Facebook is um, subsidizing just, the data. Uh, I can maybe, yeah, I can add to that. So basically, that that's a partnership with Telco. Yep. And um, you may not need to have a subscription for data, but you will have access to those apps. But in fact, if they have access to, I don't know, if, if they buy a data bundle, they will have access to the internet. So it's not it's not locked by default, um, even if they have internet, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was a... Uh, Qualcomm enabled a really cool thing through one of their chips where um, it would allow an app to pay for the data for its own app without the phone owner paying for any data. And then that idea could be taken a little further, which is we'll pay for data even for the whole device, even for or for our sister apps. So Facebook could pay for its own data usage on a device. You don't even need to plan. And for WhatsApp and for Instagram and for whatever, and that works. And I remember Qual I had a friend at Qualcomm who led that team because they're from San Diego, as am I. And they brought me over and they said, what do you think about this? How, how would we position this to app developers, you know, to let them know that they can do that? I was like, wow, that's freaking crazy. I didn't realize that was even possible. Yeah. And to your point with the, the telco earlier, so, and that's very common in emerging markets where it's called free basics. So basically you go to your telco operator, you just buy a SIM card and you have access to specific apps, but they also use it as a user acquisition edge because not all your competitors will have the same kind of um, partnership with, um, with Facebook. Yeah. And next one up is from... Uh, New York Times, many popular VPN services are owned by companies with shady track records like London-based Cape Technologies, which also owns VPN review sites. Okay, why is the New York Times calling out VPNs now? Many virtual private network services that were meant to protect your web browsing can no longer be trusted. Here are other ways, according to the New York Times. The journalist named Brian Chen says, I'm done with paying for VPNs, virtual private networks, a service that claims to protect your privacy when you're connected to a public Wi-Fi network at a local coffee shop, the airport, or hotel. For more than a decade, security experts have recommended using a VPN to shield your internet traffic from bad actors who try to stoop on you. But just as tech gadgets become outdated over time, so does some tech advice. The reality is that web security has improved so much in the last few years that VPN services, which charge monthly subscription fees that cost as much as Netflix, offer superfluous protection for most people concerned about privacy, some security researchers have said. 
Many of the most popular VPN services are now also less trustworthy than in the past because they have been bought by larger companies with shady track records. That's a deal breaker when it comes to using a VPN service, which intercepts our internet traffic. If you can't trust a product that claims to protect your privacy, what good is it? Trusting these people is really critical. Matthew Green, a computer scientist who studies encryption, says about VPN providers, there's no good way to know what they're doing with your data, which they have huge amounts of control over. And in fact, they might be monetizing your data. I learned this the hard way. For several years, I subscribed to a popular VPN service called Private Internet Access. In 2019, I saw the news that the service had been acquired by Cape Technologies, a security firm in London. Cape was previously named Crossrider, a company that had been called out by researchers at Google and University of California for developing malware. Oh, that that's a warning. That's a red flag right there. I immediately canceled my subscription. In the last five years, Cape has also bought several other popular VPN services, including CyberGhost VPN, ZenMate, and just last month, ExpressVPN, one of the most popular VPN on the planet. And they paid just under a billion dollars for it. There's a lot of money in data. This year, Cape additionally bought a group of VPN review sites that give top ratings to the VPN services it owns. Good times. Some some very clever SEO play going on right there. Uh, a Cape... Yeah, you, know, you know, this is standard modus operandi in the other business as well. This is standard modus operandi of the online travel agencies. They own both the review sites as well as uh, hundreds of different brands for online travel. You want them? A Cape spokes woman said that Crossrider, which has long been shut down, was a development platform that was misused by those who distributed malware. She says Cape's VPN review sites maintained their independent editorial standards, of course. Absolutely. I mean, uh, who would think otherwise? It kind of sets a concerning precedent for the consumer standpoint, says Sven Taylor, the founder of the tech blog Restore Privacy. As the average user goes online to look for information about the product, do they know that what they're reading might have been written by the company that owns the end product? One caveat, VPNs are still great for some applications such as in the authoritarian countries where citizens use the technology to make it look as if they're using the internet in other locations. That helps give them access to web content they cannot normally see, but as a mainstream privacy tool, it's no longer an ideal solution. This sent me down a rabbit hole of seeking alternatives to paying for a VPN. I ended up using some web tools to create my own private network for free, which wasn't easy. But I also learned that many casual users may not even need a VPN anymore. Well, because Apple has a whole new proxy system built into the new versions of their operating systems. Which I, I would be Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Tyler, were you, were you done? They didn't want to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. You cool. So, I mean, the history here may be that uh, it wasn't that long ago. That Some, something just blocked really the mic. Really low, Ben. Really low. Sorry? There you go. Something blocked, there you go. Something blocked yeah. my mic. Okay, yeah, cool. now you're good. So um, the history here may be that um, it wasn't that long ago when a lot of websites weren't HTTPS. They weren't secure. So mm -hmm. if you were on a public Wi-Fi and you were Googling, then that public Wi-Fi access point could see everything you were doing. Um, so that's a good place to sell VPNs to people en masse, get them subscribed, get them used to it, get them uh, used to the sense of security. And now that nearly every website you go to is HTTPS, it doesn't matter as right. much if you're on a public Wi-Fi. Yep. So you're going for a secure channel. Um, so there may be that, that type of thing going on. And of course, yep. yeah, anyway. That's no, you're, you're exactly right. That's part of the reason why 
the need for it has gone down in, in with regard to privacy because you have a direct portal through an HTTPS uh, where your info can't be siphoned off, so to speak. And yeah, there's a lot of 95% of the top 1,000 websites uh, are now encrypted with HTTPS. So Ben, this is where I'm actually going to ask you a question that I don't have much expertise on. Um, I avoid any public hotspots um, in general, like just a hotspot off my phone. But if you're VPNing on a hotspot, does that secure you to the router or just from router out or the entire no no it does it, so v, so they're all just like it, if you think of anything on the internet like a pipe right it's like a pipe from a to b the question is is there a leak in the pipe and you know is somebody sniffing your stuff so https puts a pipe inside the pipe it's a secure pipe inside the internet pipe um and so anything going by https is secure from your browser on your laptop all the way through to the server of whoever you're talking to say google Though you... everyone in between can know where you're going. That's an important point for dissidents. Yeah, yeah it's that's... not completely private. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a secure, it's on a certain, it's on that port, right? For, um, it's late, but what's the but, port? 80 is the standard HTTPS. Uh, but but your, your question was about well. open Wi-Fi points, right? If you're on an open yeah. Wi-Fi point, how, how safe are you? And if you use a VPN, what does that do? A VPN puts an encrypted tunnel inside that. So the, the people on the open Wi-Fi may be able to see that you're doing stuff, but they're not going to be able to see your traffic going back and forth. So it's a bit like HTTPS, but for your whole connection, not just for your web going in and out, but for everything, your Skype, your, your clubhouse, your whatever. So, But they can still scan your port on the local LAN, right? And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, tech uh, news that we're diving in here. It's just literally something I, I don't know the full mechanics of, and I think it would help. So they can still do a port scan if you're hooked up on that, right? Yeah, if yeah. if you're on the local network, the yeah. So don't don't go anything. on hotspots. Don't go what? on public hotspots. <laughs> don't what? go what? on a flight wireless. Don't do Boingo. Don't do anything uh, where the hotspot is a well-known name because once you leave the hotspot, someone can set up a honeypot. Well, yeah, it doesn't even have to be a well-known name. So this this is worth is worth people knowing about Wi-Fi. And you can you can fix it by the way by resetting your network settings on your iPhone. But it's a hassle because it will forget all your wireless access points. But if you've ever gone on any open Wi-Fi hotspot, you know, one without a password, um, you go on something, I don't know, John's free Wi-Fi, you know, and it's not got a password, cool. And then you go and sit in a cafe somewhere and some hacker's sitting in there with a sophisticated piece of equipment. Um, your phone, what it does is it, it as part of connecting to the Wi-Fi, it's, it says, hey, is John's free Wi-Fi available here? It's regularly polling all the open Wi-Fis that it's connected to before. Um, and uh, unfortunately, a hacker can sit there and go, hey, you're, you're asking for John's free Wi-Fi. Hang on a minute. I'll just set that up for you. And uh, if it's nice and strong, you'll connect to it. And the problem with that is now that person sitting next to you in the cafe, you've connected to John's free Wi-Fi. You don't really realize you've done it because you've done it before and your computers remembered it was fine before. Now, it's not John's free Wi-Fi. It's the hacker. And everything you do can be proxied by the hacker. So when you go to your bank site to log in, if, they, if they're prepared, they'll have a page that looks like your bank site. And you'll put in all the bank details. Sure, when you get into the site, there'll be nothing of meaning there because it's too much hassle to build the back end. But they'll have got your login details. So that's the more, the more concern is all those free Wi-Fi's, those, those not free, but unencrypted Wi-Fi's that exactly. you've got stored in your phone. Now, you can get rid of those by going to network settings on the phone. Um, and in the states, it. though, in the states, though, this becomes problematic if you have a carrier like AT&T um, to save bandwidth. If you go to a, a McDonald's, they're going to throw you on AT&T's Wi-Fi. If you go to a Home Depot, they're going to throw you onto AT&T's Wi-Fi. Now, that seems like a good thing, but all someone has to do is set up an AT&T Wi-Fi 
and all of a sudden your phone's hooking up with that and stingers and all those things so, so avoid so wi-fi stay one, on the stay on the wireless network as much as you can one thing that mitigates that particular thing is uh, if you have the proper root certificates on your device that authenticate things uh they won't be able to spoof uh like say wells fargo wells fargo's security key Sorry for this detour, Tyler. No, no, this this was very good. And Ben was about to explain what uh, he was going to the settings thing, and then he got cut off. I didn't know if he had anything else. Oh, I I could tell you where that is. I mean, it's just I already know where it is. I already know where it is. You're talking to the audience. Yeah, it's to flush out. Your your phone remembers every Wi-Fi spot you've ever connected to internationally wherever you've traveled and the, the idea is yeah you don't necessarily want to keep that because it could be abused so you want to flush out all the wi-fi networks you ever connected to and by the way if you clear keep, it right where you clear can clear it. the cache essentially yep. and it also if there was a password for it it also remembers the password for it so you might not want you might want to avoid that so the next uh, point in the article is precisely as Ben says that the reason why the the need for VPNs is going down year over year is because the utilization of HTTPS, which the S means secure, hyper hypertext protocol secure, uh, is uh, becoming much more ubiquitous. So that reduces the need for VPNs. But um, the article then also says. <clears throat> Uh, most the, the two things that people can do to most protect themselves, of course, is to keep their software updated on their devices because these software updates are usually uh, related to protecting against the latest vulnerabilities that are it's a constant chicken and uh, uh, whack-a-mole um, of, to see, you know, people are constantly finding new vulnerabilities and the, the devices are constantly updating their apps to address those new newly found latest vulnerabilities and the other crucial step is to create two-step verification for your apps especially your important apps so that if your password is found out and it will that that becomes rather useless because they enter in your password to your service they won't be able to get in unless they're also able to do two-factor authentication which is often done, you have two two popular ways that two-factor authentication happens. One is through an SMS, just like how Clubhouse does. More and more lately, that's becoming less secure as it used to seem because there's ways to hack uh, SMS verifications, that second-factor authentication. More secure than that is the Google Authenticator app. And even the, the real solution that everyone's starting to come to the conclusion that the best second factor authentication is a hardware key that connects to your device or doesn't even need to connect that can do NFC uh, from your pocket. So uh, these hardware keys are about to become very common as Uncle Joe Biden seems very interested in securing uh, Americans uh, and uh, no surprise when you heard that the headline that I read about Microsoft's annual report about all of the international hacking. The real way to combat that is with hardware keys for the most part. <clears throat> That's the the strongest uh, thing that people could do. And now it's become economically 
kind of a no-brainer. You can get these hardware keys for about 20 bucks, and they have USB-C versions and NFC versions, and they work on your laptops and on your phones, and now you've got an actual physical key, and if unless you have the physical key, you can't really get into the device. And there, and there, there is a solution for when you lose the key. Yes, Chris? Sorry, I know I'm terrible this tonight. Um, and then doesn't the key also validate some of these logins? Like, so like the big phishing attempt is they'll fake a Microsoft cloud login or something like they're an iCloud. I read somewhere that these things can also detect uh, forged websites, if if that's the case, or spoof sites. Is I'm, I'm so unfamiliar the, with it. That... The browsers themselves are getting better at detecting spoof sites, yeah? But I was saying, like, doesn't don't these things populate the um, the password or something like that, too? And because they do that, they kind of have a way of knowing if they're going to populate the wrong one. Could be. Sorry. That's right. Next one is a payments company called Paddle announces an alternative in-app payments system for iOS, charging 10, uh, 5% to 10% fees launching December 7th following the Epic versus Apple ruling. In response to the Epic Games versus Apple ruling last month, payments platform Paddle Today announced its plans to launch an in-app payments alternative to Apple. Uh, Paddle described as a payment system, as a true like-for-like drop-in replacement for Apple's in-app purchase mechanism, allowing developers to collect payments from customers without having to pay Apple's 30% commission on, on sales. Paddle says it will have a highly competitive fee structure with 10% fees for transactions under $10 and a 5% fee for transactions over $10. In addition to lower fees, Paddle said benefits of its payment system will include access to customer data, such as their email addresses, for communicating product news and offers flexible pricing and subscription options, direct customer service, and more. So here it comes. The the easy replacement for Apple's uh, in-app payment solution. And, and the customer can still pay through Apple Pay for your apps. So it's uh, it's really not any inconvenience to your users, which many app app uh, developers will be sensitive to the issue of the turning users away by making it more difficult for the payment. And they've intentionally designed this in a way so that it doesn't uh, drive people away or, or have a uh, less click-through rate, lower the click-through rate. So very interesting development there. And boy, will that company uh, is what there was a headline yesterday uh, in our when we met last time, 12 hours ago. Who was the latest country to say uh, to bring up this issue with Apple's dominance of their payment system in the App Store? First, it was Korea. Now, Russia says they're going to do it. America did it. The Apple Epic case. And then there's a new country yesterday someone remember who it was i can't recall who it was anybody remember chris cheryl i was really jet lagged so i slept most i'm of trying the to remember who the hell it was we'll we'll probably get to it it'll probably be in the tweets anyway oh the netherlands is who it was 
That's right. Yeah. So the Netherlands says, hey, Apple, uh, you've got a little monopoly with your in-app purchases there, we noticed. Uh, you can't do that. And you have until, I think, the end of the month to come up with, uh, show us how you're going to, your actual solution for that to allow other in-app purchase options. Well, here it is right here, Paddle. And boy, uh, they're, they're the first out of the gate. And they're getting paid on every transaction. So they might not even need uh, much VC funding <laughs> other than they probably will want to take it to market the shit out of this thing. And the beautiful part is they only need to market it in the countries um, like the Netherlands who are passing this. And they should start marketing it now to every app developer in the Netherlands. And that's the other beautiful part of this app is they only need to market it to app developers, which are very easy to get that database of email addresses. So it's incredibly efficient marketing because it's not expensive to market to app developers. Specifically, you don't have to market to the whole country. So you have an incredibly valuable app that makes money every time it's used that you can market directly to a very niche audience. So pff, holy cow, is that going to print money? Um, and if they can stay ahead of the curve, although it shouldn't be that hard to make, it's going to be interesting to see how that space develops. So the next one is quite interesting. Uh, a, a new company called the Vision Rare, an NFT marketplace for fantasy startup investing. You have like fantasy football fantasy sports leagues now you can be a fantasy investor you can pretend to invest uh, you can pretend to be a vc or an angel investor with nfts and boy does this really complicate the whole concept of the value of nfts uh, it says where users spend money to buy fake shares in startups oh it's now shut down the service after one day that's the new update in the headline we read this one yesterday <laughs> It had launched yesterday, and now they say they've shut it down after 24 hours. Such um, just over 24 hours into an open beta, Vision Rare, which launched an NFT marketplace for fantasy startup investing, is temporarily shutting down and refunding users who purchased shares, saying it will relaunch soon as a free-to-play game. Oh, I wonder if they got contacted by the SEC. <laughs> The platform allows users to bid on auctions of fake NFT shares of real startups, bidding on bidding up a quasi portfolio that they could compete in a fantasy sports style league around who could build the most profitable portfolio. As we noted in our coverage of the startups launch yesterday, they didn't have the permission of most of the startups that they were selling synthetic shares in. In a note posted on the company's auction marketplace this morning, the founders noted that they had underestimated the legal complexities with selling novelty NFT shares in real startups and were temporarily shutting down the marketplace and refunding users as they planned out a pivot. In a message on the company's public Discord channel, the team noted it had already processed all of the credit card refunds to buyers, though some refunds may still be pending due to Stripe processing. The platform and its founders had received some substantial pushback after the launch yesterday with various tech entrepreneurs and investors questioning whether the platform was legal, whether it was a secure, a security, whether the NFT platform was taunting the SEC and, or whether 
This is finally the sign of the market's top. Vision Rare's founders said they aren't done with the idea of fantasy startup investing quite yet, but that they are going to have to rethink how the platform is fundamentally structured. In the coming days, we will relaunch Vision Rare as a completely free-to-play game. All players start with a fixed amount of credits that they can use to build their startup portfolio, and they can compete in leagues based on how well their portfolios performed in the real world. Down the line, we'll figure out if and how we can add a financial element again. A lot of these projects will be subject to this type of scrutiny from the SEC, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. So my buddy Jason had one of the most viral responses to this whole thing where I'll tweet it now so you can see it. He says, uh, so the SEC won't allow non-accredited investors to buy shares in startups, but they can buy worthless NFT fake shares in startups. Exactly. Yeah. It was a whole, it was a whole set of them and they were all brilliant. (laughs) Right. Like it was also, um, uh, talking about, media and all kinds of facebook mm-hmm. and oh. nfts are not only fun technically flawed because of the chain they're built on but they're also uh, legally flawed so time your mic just disappeared ben ben we lost you yeah again. sorry i've lost my i've lost a, an airpod i'm an airpod down it's like black hawk down but with airpods um, <laughs> Uh, we got it. We got an AirPod down. Um, I'm saying that that these the NFTs are problematic not only technically because they're built on a non-decentralized system and most of the merits claim are built on the concept of decentralization, but they're also very legally flawed, as Donna will regularly attest here. So um, we'll just wait and see that. Let the market sort it all out. Okay. Next up is Facebook removes its brand from its in-development social VR platform, Facebook Horizon renaming it Horizon Worlds, and announces a $10 million creator fund. This is interesting. Um, I get Horizons is the workspace, uh, Michelle, did, that uh, launched about a, a few weeks ago, if I recall uh, correctly. Yeah, I think Horizon is just, um, it's it's kind of a bundle name for all the, the experience where people can meet within the ah, within Hor- horizon workrooms was the yeah yeah that was the workroom and horizon that could be hang out in a park for instance so it's i think it's just to name all the the experience where people can hang okay. out facebook's removed its brand from its in development social vr platform horizon because it exists on oculus anyways and oculus also doesn't have facebook so now if you're using Oculus and you go into Horizons, there's no mention of Facebook in either. Um, I, the, it, I wonder what the motivation was there, but it certainly draws into question Facebook's the the perceived value or or liabilities of the Facebook brand at this point. That's kind of a concerning development. But Horizon Worlds is the new name for Facebook Horizon. And the company is removing support for Unity-based worlds. Oh, boy. Unity is basically Epic and Unity. Epic has the Unreal development engine. And Unity is another development platform to develop content for this world. And curious to know why they're removing support for Unity-based worlds. Uh, Encouraging creators building with 
that game engine to seek release on the Oculus Store. When the social service was first showcased for Oculus Quest in t- late 2019, it supported worlds made in Unity, which were notably more complex and engaging than those made in VR using Facebook's tools. Unity is the most popular game engine among developers, and alongside Roblox, Rec Room, and Epic Games, the companies are on a short list of efforts to build powerful yet easy-to-use tools for interactive 3D world creation. Facebook tried to acquire Unity in the past, and the acquisition would have given the advertising giant a key tool set that would push many creators to work with the social media company. Instead of selling, though, Unity went public on the stock market in late 2020. And we don't have any plans for direct Unity level development on top of Worlds, but absolutely, as a VR developer, you can build on top of Unity and bring that experience, whether it's a game or something else, over to Oculus through the Oculus App Store, says Vivek Sharma, VP of Horizons at Facebook Reality Labs. Facebook recently announced its Horizon Workrooms app for working remotely in VR. When viewed together, Horizon may now be viewed as Facebook's brand for first-party social VR applications. Okay. Next up is from Bloomberg. Mark Gurman says he has sources that Apple is developing an iPhone-based car control system that could access your climate control, speedometer, radio seats, and more, expanding on CarPlay through your phone. That's brilliant. Next up from The Verge, Governor Gavin Newsom of California signs the Silenced No More Act, which which former Pinterest employee Ifeoma Ozama helped draft to protect California workers who call out discrimination despite NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. This is interesting. And Ms. Uh, Ozoma was in the news yesterday for launching a whistleblower platform to empower whistleblowers to come forward and give them uh, access to tools and resources and information about how to properly whistleblow so that you can be a pro blower. You don't want to be one of those amateur whistleblowers. You want to learn how to blow that whistle (laughs) properly Nice and nice and slow, nice and loud, so that everybody hears that whistle. And so, when you're whistle blowing that whistle, somebody doesn't come and chop your head off to stop you from blowing that whistle, and they show you how to protect your neck while you are in the act of blowing that whistle. So, Calif- this is another interesting development that uh, the governor of California has signed a new act called the Silence No More Act on Thursday night, a historic piece of legislation authored by the state senator that should protect workers who speak out about harassment and discrimination, even if they've signed a non-disclosure agreement. Pinterest whistleblower Ifeoma Ozama began pushing the bill forward last year after coming forward with allegations of racism against the tech company Pinterest. She knew she was partially protected by the Stand Together Against Non-Disclosures Act, a Me Too-era law that banned NDAs in sexual harassment cases, but soon realized the bill did not provide protections for other forms of abuse. 
Now that's changing. Workers in California will be legally protected for speaking out about discrimination based on race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, ancestry, disability, and age. And the law could have enormous implications for the tech industry, which is famous for having workers sign extremely restrictive non-disclosure agreements. While it, while it will only protect employees in California, Ozama has plans to expand it to other parts of the United States. The bill is sponsored by the California Employment Lawyers Association, Ozama's organization called Earthseed, the Equal Rights and Equal Rights Advocates, will take effect on January 1st, 2022. Pinterest agreed to proactively stop making workers sign NDAs that keep them from discussing their personal experiences at Pinterest. Back in April, after Ozama's accusations, but months ahead of the law's passage, Apple, however, refused to add language to its employment agreements to make it clear that employees could discuss workplace harassment and discrimination after activists and, and Apple shareholders pressured the company with a shareholder resolution. We, we, okay, that's the end of the article. So there's going to be a whole lot more whistleblowing. And now there will be a framework and there's tools to help whistleblowers blow the whistles. And let me find that article from yesterday to read precisely what Miss Ozama uh, tech. Will, here it is. Here it is. It says the woman who went public about Pinterest's workplace problems created a handbook to help tech workers safely become whistleblowers. Uh, whistleblowing has increasingly dominated news cycle in Silicon Valley's high stakes tech industry from spectacular meltdowns like Theranos to an ongoing drumbeat of internal reckoning among management at Facebook. But while the results of blowing the whistle on an employer make headlines. How the person behind the story decided to come forward is, for most people, a mystery. A new guide re- released today aims to change that, dubbed the Tech Worker Handbook. The comprehensive collection of resources offers insights into each step of the whistleblowing process from potential legal ramifications to working with reporters and security measures to consider. The project, spearheaded by Pinterest whistleblower Ifioma Ozama includes research and resources from the Signals Network, an international nonprofit that encourages transparency and supports whistleblowers working with the press, Um, a PR firm working as a conduit between employees with stories to tell and journalists, among others. The effort is funded by the Omid Yarn Network Tech Accountability Fund. At its core, the project aims to help tech workers who are considering coming forward with important information to make more informed decisions. Preparedness is power, adding that it would be whistleblower that would be whistleblowers should not have to rely on whisper networks to figure out how to contact journalists and employment attorney or government regulators. I want to add, like, um, I'm not at risk as calling the whistleblowers sensitive, but there is a difference between a bad story and, like, an actual story with legs, like, ju- just journalistically. So when they're going through these steps, in quotes, right, um, there's got to be a very, very distinct difference between what is worth whistleblowing and going to the press and what isn't. And I feel like, impo- possibly, just as this is a PR company, they 
or Sadashe, she might have more um, emphasis on that because saying something's racist or saying something is sexist, like um, what happened with Ap the Apple situation is like, um, it's obviously a big thing to say, but at the same time, the story might not have legs and you the person may not be of merit. So it's uh, there's got to be distinctions made just to protect both the tech companies and the person whistleblowing as well to say like you might be ruining your career just doing this because that's really what it is right it's like a red mark it's a scarlet letter which is why these people become like booksellers and stuff so an interesting perhaps the most interesting paragraph in this story is about how it says that the uh, NDA is originally designed to protect confidential business information that big tech companies are often so broad in their in their wording that they can prohibit an employee from saying virtually anything about the workplace. And so that's why Apple updated their NDAs to say that it allows for revelations related to harassment or sexual discrimination and whatnot. But in we don't know how many people previously felt uncomfortable coming forward with their uh, charges of uh, sexual harassment and discrimination or racial discrimination or, you know, all the different types that this new bill that Gavin Newsom just signed yesterday. It's, it's unknown how many people might have come forward if the wordings in their NDAs were uh, explicitly enabled it. These are literally some of the best lawyers in the world, or at least the most, some of the most highly paid. So it'd be interesting to see essentially how their, you know, back channel communications end up influencing some of the wording of the legislation. Yeah. By the way, there was prior <laughs> the interesting Silicon Valley history behind this uh, for the old school geeks who were familiar with Fucked Company, which was run by a PUD, um, was a website had a logo that looked like fast oh, company yeah but the the the, castle, the water cooler of, of the dot-com explosion implosion yes 98 there was a website called fucked company a play on words of fast company and uh pud was the uh mastermind behind that he's now the ceo founder of DistroKid, which recently became a unicorn and um but back in 99, he was the go-to place to whistleblow. And people did it. was the bubble in action. All the time. Every day. There was, it was a whole blog dedicated to all the crazy shit going on internally at all of these companies. And uh, it was quite the fun website to follow. And I imagine that's what inspired these NDAs to become much more broad. <laughs> to, to prohibit people from <laughs> to saying anything uh, about the companies. Uh, but now that fuck company doesn't exist and there isn't a wiki leaks for whistle tech whistleblowers, well, perhaps there will be again soon. Um, so it's, it'll be an interesting development to see uh, how big tech deals with now that they have massive, you know, hundred thousand person teams, and in, in Amazon's case, a million. Endless uh, drama. Yes, you're gonna you you will have endless drama get ready uh the, the the tech journalists are frothing at the mouth and rubbing their hands knowing that we're about to see an endless avalanche of whistleblowing at these tech companies could it be like reality tv would there be a reality tv version of this where it's like 
every week we get a new Keeping Up With Her Apple update. It's going to be every day. There's going to be headlines every single day. It's going to be an endless, endless soap opera of uh, accusations and assertions and claims of, you know, crazy shit happening at these tech companies. In a way, there's actually a, a very weird, like, historical pattern for this, or like in Neptune and other parts like this, where where basically they would have, um, uh, in, in many historical cultures, there's the idea of the jester, essentially the court jester is saying, be able to speak truth to power as a thing. But the idea is actually when you provide these, like, uh, I think it was Knight of Saturn or whatever, the Roman version, where everyone switched roles for a day. But the thing about it is when you use essentially this this drama aspect, it actually normalizes essentially when it's like, oh man, yeah. have you heard the latest on this and that? But it doesn't, in, in, in fact, it actually, it almost like normalizes the pattern actually even existing in the first place. Um, having those like extreme, like, you know, uh, versions of that is almost like as an outlet. So what's interesting is the more of these that you start to see, the more we're going to start actually accepting a permanent place for these te- tech companies. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that internally. Yeah, so I like what um, Tyler said with amazon the other day like you need to know explicitly that you're at this place where it's like super high intensity and there's going to be some chairs thrown and all of these things but once you are ready for that environment much like when the um, mormons say you're going to get so many swear words thrown at you for going door to door then you'll be how would you what's the word for it uh you you'll just feel less um, prone to un- to having a negative response to bad acting and stuff like that. I mean, for me, as I hear more and more of these stories, I just start being more disenchanted with humans than I am with the companies, to be honest, because these are human problems. It's not necessarily the company. Yeah, I know the company creates the environment, but and to this point, it kind of makes me. This is a great point. Like- this is a great it's point us. because if you it's have us. a you okay. have a company these tech companies Apple Google Microsoft but they have a hundred thousand employees each out of a hundred thousand people somebody's gonna say something offensive and <clears throat> and and somebody's likely statistically <clears throat> to say something that legally is hate speech or uh, legally punishable like sexism, racism, what have you. And this that person, and you might have two or three or four people in the course of a year at a 100,000 person company say something. And the problem is they are, quote unquote, an Apple employee. So now Apple is guilty of sexual harassment. Right? So, and like the lady at pointing out that the... It's worth pointing out that these companies said, hold us to a higher standard. It's literally, they basically say, model your workplaces that all the other corporations just like us because we have that much more creativity, that much more productivity. Our workers are this much happier. Look at these colorful colors that we have on our preschool things for all the Google employees with stuff. They show the, they show the, the happy ones at the center of the campus, not the, uh, the cubicles out of the, on the outskirts. But the reason why it's relevant is each one of these companies basically says, we stamp the standards for essentially what other companies say of what hate speech looks like. We set these standards for essentially what mm. privacy looks like. We set the standards. Chris. And so when they're saying that, they're hold, saying, hold us to a higher standard. It's like, okay, let's try this on for size. And what do you know? They're just like any of the other ones. Mm. Might these high-paid lawyers, as they edit the non-disclosure agreements, to carve out the ability for people to come forward with, you know, claims of sexual harassment or, or any kind of harassment or discrimination, might they then update the employee employer agree, employee agreement that says we are not responsible for any uh, 
uh, inappropriate offensive claims of you know of the following to you that we as the company. Yeah, where's Jennifer? You can't do that. Yeah, you can't do that. I don't imagine you can. Yeah. Nope, you can't. And and most of the tech companies they don't have or have employee agreements. By the way. Right. Well, what if you no longer you create a new kind of class of non-employee so that you're as a company you're no you know somehow create a barrier which by the way amazon does this with their drivers amazon's drivers technically don't work for amazon they work for these third party uh out outfits who obviously are incredibly controlled by amazon but yet amazon for some reason legally doesn't want to control their drivers and the click farm people in the Philippines and Bangladesh with things, they aren't technically employees. What exactly. they are is they're basically subcontractors to a subcontracted group. Right. That essentially, if you ever find out PR agency who basically works for what, and they say, oh, that wasn't us, that we were on a temporary short-term contract that just happened to auto-renew every month. Right. <laughs> Everybody becomes and a third party. That a- Apple's product development team is now going to create a separate company. You're going to have separate companies all within... Founders- Oh, by the way, I mean, isn't Alphabet essentially that? Uh, I mean, on a bigger scale. So you just take that idea further and then Google internally creates a thousand different companies. Every team is a separate company. So the companies, you know, that's what the you're going to force lawyers to do essentially to address this issue. There was actually an internal version of this. You could see a version of this where Google essentially stole a lot of IP from a a small group, group in Arizona called Space Data. Uh, this is part of the backups when they had a spectrum auction that they said they needed to hedge their bets if it went a different way. This is one of the very few times where a, a, a group of like 30 people uh, in, in space data, they sued Google and they won. And essentially because they, Google had stolen a lot of their work for Project Loon. Now, what's really interesting about that is because essentially Loon was basically incorporated as a separate legal entity, they were able to basically do a little bit of shenanigans on this. They still had to do a pretty impressive payout. Well, Tesla, but, uh, Tesla just lost yeah. a $100 million lawsuit for racial discrimination. Oh, hell, you're going to basically do lots of internal things if you that got that sort thing on the book. And, and then this is the thing any founder needs to really consider, too. When you generate IP, if you have, you know, you actually need to generate a holding company and then an operating company because you're at such risk as you grow. Like, you know, the, like Tyler says, high-paced, Genghis Khan-like environment. There's people doing coke in the bathroom, jumping on rooftops. Like, you know, like this is risky if you're a founder and you, you have so much at risk. And then there's a separate legal jurisdictions where every uh, group worldwide is essentially going to have their own differential policies. One of the fun parts is you have essentially e-discovery that can kick in in any country. This is one of the things that essentially older school corporations are essentially much more savvy about, and tech companies are going to come up to speed real fast on this. So here's is New- that essentially any one of those can basically generate drama for all the other stuff worldwide. New York Times two days ago, jury orders Tesla to pay $137 million to a former worker over racist treatment. A federal jury in San Francisco has ordered Tesla to pay $137 million to a black elevator operator who accused the car maker of ignoring racial abuse he faced while working at the automaker's factory. The plaintiff, Holy shit. Owen Diaz, says he... I just love the idea of an elevator operator getting $137 million now. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, hang on a second. Let's take a step fucking back. An elevator operator in a Tesla building? It's it's just for in Mr. Musk because he basically goes from the private office to the I, factory. I'm just floor. watching him wipe and, away and, his and, tears with his green, you know, his and, greenbacks. And this, <laughs> and this is, and, and they and, don't have automation. 
Elevator. <laughs> well, they will now. Their elevators are going to be automated from here on out. Otis Elevator Company is going to get one wait, hell of a contract wait, for this. Can you guys believe? Can you believe? Can you actually believe this? That yeah, they this doesn't. Uh, Thirty-seven million dollars. Well, here's my point. They're going to be automated now. A robot is definitely going to take over that job. Here's my point. Push the pace of robots. Elevator operators are precisely the job that Elon Musk uses. But this is precisely the job. It's still a thing in anywhere in Bangladesh. They actually have elevator operators. You have to tip them. Are we sure this is one of those? This doesn't sound genuine because this is exactly the job that Elon Musk uses as an example of something that people used to assume you have to have and now you don't when he talks about automation of cars. But he has to be careful. So having an elevator up in Tesla factory, this sounds like trolling. Yeah, like that's why I'm saying it's a fucking troll. Like, there's no way this is real. Like, are you, this is the New York Times you... I'm reading. Oh my god! Yeah, but... San Francisco but, people but... are really pissed at this. Is yeah, precisely yeah, my yeah, point. Yeah, but... Is can you imagine Sorry. if somebody <laughs> sues Facebook and then it goes to a jury trial? I don't care what the case is about. That person's getting a five hundred million dollar settlement because. The jury wants to take a pound of flesh from any big any big tech company, particularly would, Facebook, is, needs to be is, incredibly careful. This is a racket. I, I'm gonna go. I'm, hey Ben, let's go work at some company, and you can call me yellow, and we'll just fucking. Hold on, just. I just. I job technically on any elevator worldwide. So can you just like set up a little shop and a little pay booth right there, essentially, and just hijack an elevator? Going, yes, I'm the, basically the racially okay, so, mandated. Hold on. <laughs> Ben, pick me up I, your own for peril. anybody in this room, I am fully available to work as an elevator operator, <laughs> as, a, as a shoe shiner. Can <laughs> you refuse? Will you sue us? Ben and, wanted and to comment. And those in Japan are dressed quite well, by the way. Yes, they do. I was do. just going to say, Tyler, that yeah. it, it, when you say this is the New York Times, as if you hold it in high esteem, I hold tech news in higher esteem than New York well, Times. thank you. Remember, remember the... Yeah. I mean, remember, remember, Roy. I had heard exactly that argument with the Litecoin and and Walmart thing, right? The argument, right, the, right, right. The kickback I got was, yeah. but this is on Reuters. I'm like, I don't care where it is. People yeah. just want to get stuff out so quickly; they don't care about the accuracy. Right. So he in this article it says the the gentleman said employees had drawn swastikas and scratched a racial epithet in a bathroom stall and left drawings. Which, by the way, I get that this is my point. So, uh, at, a, at a, in a widely used re- men's restroom, the men here can help the ladies uh, understand that men restrooms in America uh, are very often have scribblings on the walls. This They're is not inc- well maintained. This As is inc- This is incredibly common, right? So the idea of a of swastika on a bathroom wall. Would surprise not one man in this whole entire room that's from California. Those are eight very expensive lines to carve into essentially a bathroom <laughs> stall. But the fact that it happened at Tesla, uh, now you see where this is going. But was to this an elevator operator in their factory? This is like a magic hex symbol. You can say, look, it summons $130 million Do a and a lot bathroom? of detention. Do they have a butler in the bathroom? One of those, uh, you know, the, the refresher guys? Like when you go to a nightclub, do they have one of those too? <laughs> <laughs> so he said that employees had drawn swastikas and scratched a racial epithet in a bathroom stall and left drawings of derogatory characters of black children around the factory. Now that's fucked up. Uh, despite repeated complaints, the company did little to address the behavior, he said. It's not like we're removing the offensive behavior 
they would just let people keep adding and adding. He said the jury agreed with Mr. Diaz's assertion that Tesla had created a hostile work environment by failing to address the racism he faced. A vast majority of the re- of the award, 130 million, was punitive damages against the company. The rest, 6.9 million, was for past and future non-economic damages to Mr. Diaz. It's a great thing when one of the richest corporations in America has to have a reckoning of the abhorrent conditions <laughs> at its factory for black people. Mr. Diaz's lawyer, uh, Lawrence Organ of the California Civil Rights Law Group, said in an interview, Mr. Diaz said he had reached a breaking point when he witnessed similar racist epithets directed at his son, Dimitri, who secured a job, his first at the company with Mr. Diaz's help. My son watched his father being broken in front of him, Mr. Diaz said in a message to Tesla's staff members that was posted on the company's website. Valerie Capper's workman, a human resources executive, noted that Mr. Diaz was a contractor, not a Tesla employee, and played down the allegations and played down the allegations in the lawsuit. In addition to Mr. Diaz, three other witnesses, all non-Tesla contract employees, and I, I said already that we're going to go into this. They're trying to not have people employees, but apparently that didn't uh, address it, even in this case. What they'll do is you have to the physical facilities. But I think, Tyler, um, one thing that it's just that it would be uh, nice to point out is um, to make sure companies just don't trivialize something like that, right? It, it, it does happen, and I think it's it's a, I'm not talking about the size of you know the size of the judgment or something like that, but it does happen bad things. So uh, it is good that companies take measures so that these things. Just okay, don't but happen. but watch this. Bessie, I was I was what? just going to say this. I was also going to agree that you know I'm sure that the jury obviously heard something and saw something that really went towards his favor. But let's also not discount that most likely the people sitting on that jury and that jury, um, they probably wanted to stick it to the big guy, you know? So, of course, you know, when they saw that, they were going to obviously lots of people are going to sit there and say, you know what, let's I'm sure he did have. I'm, I'm not invalidating that at all because it happens all the time. I've seen it happen to me personally in different aspects and different things, you know, back in the States, uh, throughout the years. So I know that it's there, but at the same time, most likely there are also, it's it's not going to always work out in the favor of the big boys. So check this out. It says, in addition to Mr. Diaz, three other witnesses, all non-Tesla employees, contract employees. And that, I guess that's why they didn't take their complaints seriously because they're not Tesla employees or right. So testified at trial that they regularly heard racial slurs, including the N-word at the Fremont factory floor. While they all agreed that the use of the N-word was not appropriate in the workplace, they also agreed that most of the time they thought the language was used in a friendly manner and usually by African-American colleagues. Well, now they're going to get shut down permanently. (laughs) So how do you police that? Are you going to tell, are you you, going to tell the black, wait, are you going to tell the black employees Hey, you can't say that word because we're going to get sued for a hundred million dollars. Yes, yes, you can. Yes, yes you, yeah, you can. And they're going to say, and they're going to sue, and then they're going to sue you for wait, and then they sue you for limiting their freedom of speech. Yes, they will. Hey, 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 hey! I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, you got to create 
a non-hostile work environment. They're not. Wait. Tesla, yeah, of course they're going to. And they're going to go into trial with so, with so a, a stack of a thousand pop, the world's most popular songs, and say this is there's nothing hostile about this. These this word is used on every popular album of the past 20 years you cannot claim that this is hostile when the most popular music in the past 20 years all happens to include this same phrase your honor and then we'll right, be spending we the next 20 touch. years in court because so all of you black guys people are wrong. use the n word say that but yeah. you guys go ahead and chit chat about it <laughs> are we saying because black people say the n word that other people can then say it is that what's happening here? No, they're it's, it's being they're, they're saying that they have a right to say that it's not uh, that they it's not a case of hate speech in the context that they're using it as evidenced by the fact that it's in popular culture. Well, I, I can't believe in twenty twenty one we're still having this conversation, but you can be you socially can, you can't ever correct, wait, Chris, please, please, like, but you can't spin it like regardless of. However you place it, you can't spin it in that direction. And then when you couple it with the treatment of his child and then himself and finding out that, and he's probably not the, let's say, he's not one of few black people in the environment. So therefore he ends up being a minority just by effect. So if the black people feel comfortable to speak to each other in a colloquial manner, that doesn't mean that other people can now speak in that manner. No, no. It, it, other people weren't speaking in that manner. He agrees it was the black people of the company speaking in this manner, in a in a positive, friendly manner. And yet he's suing you them and the winning $100 million because the black employees were using the N-word in a friendly manner. Okay, I would so say that just regardless to, of once again, guys, it, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trump you on this one. Just because what you guys are not hearing is you cannot create a hostile Right, and they didn't. If that they didn't create a hostile environment. He uh, he agreed in the court case that they used the it in a friendly manner. Out? That's not a, a hostile manner. That's my point. It's just a casual comment, right? My point is, if you then, if Tesla had done, if they had punished the the black uh, employees who were using that word in a friendly manner. And said, okay, you've now been warned. If you do that again, you'll be fired. And they do it on a second instance. And they say, okay, you've now used it on a second time. Now you're fired. Would we not then see a separate lawsuit or a separate article about Tesla fires uh, people for making a a non-hostile comments? And then there would be some lawyer would happily take that case and say, oh, Tesla fired my black uh, employee for using words that are used in every song on popular radio. Would there not be a trial about that? Well, from what I remember, I don't have the article in front of me, but you said that it was the employee, or in the article it says, the employee said the black people use it as well. Not that it wasn't used by anybody else. It says usually. You know what, I, I would just real quick, and this is yeah. from an old, uh, old guy. You know, um, I get the hostile environment thing. I get the social outside of work acceptable thing. Well, companies have to set the tone of the culture. But, I mean, take the, the, that word out of it. It could be whether it's sexually suggestive or not. Companies have to set a precedent regardless of what society does. And the jury found it a certain way. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting how more and more of these cases come out. But I, the, the punitive damages were just outrageous in this thing. 
But whether it's the N-word or anything like that, it could be sexually suggestive. What would you guys say to that? That's in all the poppy well, here's, the call song, Robert, too. is these employees, yeah. uh, well, in the case of, of Tesla, they're not part of a union, interestingly. I w- it would be interesting if you had union workers and they get fired for repeat usage of the N-word amongst a group of black Americans working on an assembly line and they're using the word with each other and some of them find it offensive and some of them don't and they get fired and then they say, hey, I got fired half my and then he's going to get a lawyer and then they're going to say my whole team uses this word every day for years. One guy found it offensive. They fired me because we're using this word that's used colloquially, commonly in popular culture. And now I've been fired for using this word. And then the, the jury. And of course, they're gonna, you know, the jury selection is the key to this whole thing. And then they say, hey, this world's biggest tech company, the richest man in the world, fired them for using the N word with his other black colleagues on the assembly line. Do well, we not? Tyler, think, I think you've lost the room here with things. You need I, maybe I have, but this. But I think you lost the room. But I'm trying to figure out why didn't Tesla punish? The, obviously, the person who won the so- lawsuit told Tesla, "Hey, this is going on, and it's a problem." And they didn't address it. And I'm trying to play the the Tesla's lawyer's defense as to why they didn't punish the why they allowed it to continue. Why didn't they punish maybe, the, maybe the the people who were the, using the word? Maybe they could do it now. Yeah, well, this is the now they're in a really oh, interesting position. I see a new market for bathroom Wait. stalls. This is going to basically be like, oh man, vandalism proof bathroom stalls are now essentially a hundred three million dollar legal liability. Oh, you can get, guarantee that those are going to get some attention here in the near future. I, what, what I'm my point is, I can imagine that the uh, the a jury a collect a correctly assembled chosen. Uh, somebody who can choose a jury uh, correctly could easily win an award for somebody who was fired. The the, the people in this case uh, who were using the word, if if in the future somebody gets fired from an assembly line for using that word, I could see a good attorney winning an award for that person who got fired for doing what this. I'm looking at the court article and it says um, the word was used against not um, just about the word being used between. Like it says, he complained of black workers being subject to racial slurs at the plant, including the use of the N-word race graffiti cartoons by colleagues. Yeah, in the New York Times, it says, in the New York Times version, it says they agreed that usually it was used by African-American colleagues in a friendly manner. And the answer to everybody that understands that would be so. Right. Because. Right. Yeah, I I think uh, it's it creates a really uh, (laughs) difficult HR uh, scenario because you don't want to be firing team members for doing something as, as a as a white can you imagine the white lady in the hr department trying to police this issue oh i think she, i think she's totally armed now because i would go through and fire uh, you can just say like have um just have professional speech on the plan whenever you're in there but there's no that's not um policing i wonder i wonder like what 
that makes me very curious now, uh, Daminalale. I just want to find out, like, between uh, you and your other um, friends, right, in your community, when you do you actually use that word and how do you use it? Well, each one to his own is honestly so it's uh it's not necessarily a word that like in this room i would never use it let's say because i'm not in a ah you you, you should hang out in the rooms i hang out in clubhouse for <laughs> five <laughs> minutes it's too noisy it's too noisy <laughs> but um <laughs> at the same time it's like it doesn't matter whether i use it or i don't use it it's about if i'm at work and i'm the one black employee as per most people's experience and then you hear it from someone who's ah. not black, then it acts, it, it, it jitters you because... So, Damalera, a... let me ask you this, because as Chris can confirm, as Ellen can certainly confirm, as people who follow me around the clubhouse can confirm, the rooms I like to hang out in, that you, that word is used all the time, because those are the rooms right. I like to hang yeah. out in. However, and, and I, can you imagine you like if... Wait, 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 rooms. wait, wait. What if somebody yeah. sues clubhouse in the same way as this article saying I was ex- exposed to this on this app, and now Clubhouse is racist, yada, yada, yada. And then Clubhouse okay. says, oh, okay, totally hold on, hold on, hold on, I've not totally finished. Oh, Suzanne, don't, please don't please do not be rude. Uh, Cheryl, what the hell are you doing? Please be quiet, I'm making a point. Then Clubhouse makes a new policy. Ah, okay, you cannot use that word any longer on Clubhouse. How's the black community going to feel when Clubhouse has a new policy that you cannot use that word in Clubhouse? Well, first of all, like, <laughs> this is not the first social media site, and it's not the it's like there's no precedence of any social media site being like torn down from people using the word in a racial manner, right? So it's not necessary. This that conversation, I, it it's almost a non-star, right? So, and I don't know whether you're in predominantly black rooms or you're in like just mixed association or there's just one black person in there that uses it while he's speaking or her, she's speaking or they're speaking entirely so, to your like, question oh sorry go ahead Delmar. yeah like so i don't know the i don't know the situation i don't know the social standard there so i can't necessarily speak to it directly Tyler, but to your if question. it's yeah <laughs> oh, sorry no yeah because i'm in small rooms right and if i that outside of these rooms i'm in small rooms with predominantly black people and people and the ones who decide to use it can use it and the ones who don't don't right and then there would be let's say a white or asian minority there and just because they're there doesn't mean that now it gives them rights or associations it's yeah like did we like i don't think we've played that game for 20 years like actually 40 years in media they using it yeah, in the, the, the example I'm giving is what if? Let me go back to Tyler's question. My question is, is what? It, there what is it, not the one black community. Is you know, so you said, how would the black community respond? I mean, I, I, I don't use that word, but I know mm. some people. I have some friends who do. I, I have friends that do in certain circumstances. I have friends that never. So I, I mean, I think that it's it's really hard to say the black community because it's it's not a monolith, and there will be some people that will be highly charged you know should they get some sort of decree that this word is 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 banned or prohibited Mm -hmm. and then there are other people that are highly offended when they hear Mm -hmm. other people black or otherwise use Mm -hmm. that word so i think it's really really uh dicey from that perspective 
the, the question why I ask that question is because if you're among the black community, if you talk among yourself, do you feel sensitive because of that word? Or you, this word is definitely a no-no everywhere. That's so not that's, a valid question because you're assuming there's no, something because called... You know why? I, I heard that word once in Tech News Around the World, and it was from LS, and we just came Yeah, <laughs> and I'm here, and I'm here, I know, I saw you and I'm here. <laughs> That's, and so let, let, let me set the LS record straight. Let me set the record straight, okay? It's not binary. And regarding to Robert said and the other points, because I've been listening for a while, um, and Tyler, to your point, it's like the Jewish can use, because I, I know that as well, d different he Hebrew idioms or Yiddish where they refer to each other in a certain tone. And so when you talk about language, there needs to be the context of what it means and what the, is it endearment or is it derogatory? I mean, you could tell a woman, you know, without this PC politically correct, you know, hey, you're the best woman I've ever seen. Now that could be, okay, are you trying to flirt with her? Is it her body? Or is she just the best, you know, a great worker, a great employee or whatever? And so we've learned to take this out of context too much with lawyers and twisting it. And to the other legal point, I think there was a lot of precedents where I, to be honest, in my opinion, I think it was brought up to management a lot. You know, the bathroom thing. Yeah. Like there's this, this, this culture and, you know, cause, cause most of the time engineers and, you know, I'm, I'm from Stanford, but I grew up in the hood. So yeah. And, and Cheryl's right. Okay. Compton LA. So I will use that term, even though I went to Stanford and everything else. But at that point, you mostly have white Caucasian engineers, you know, literally from around Europe or, or everywhere else in the world. Not you don't have a lot of Hispanics. You don't have a lot of blacks. You don't have a lot of colored people anyway. You have a lot of Indians and Chinese doing the work, but not at the top level. So in the factory, you probably had engineers. And this is just my assumption. I didn't read the article saying a lot of derogatory words to the lesser, you know, level of the crew. And they probably wonder why management never addressed it because Fremont's had problems for a while. And that's a very, it's a very diverse community in California where you've got sort of this binary economic sad thing. You know, you've got like the really low totem pole of workers, even in the whole city. And, and then you've got the, the high level. So, you know, was this just an intimidation tactic where it happens in Orange County too, where they look at, like, I don't look like who I do on Clubhouse unless I'm going to a business meeting. I still, I still look a certain way and I can do that. And then when people find out who I am, they're like, oh shit, you know? So yeah, I, I think it doesn't define who you are. It's just, is it systematic? Was it brought to, you know, management's attention and did they ignore it? for whatever reason. And then to Robert's point, I think earlier, stop it, just shut it down, you know? And I'm, I'm kind of that CEO, so I'm sorry. Cause I'll be like, look, you got a problem, come see me. Me and you personally, I don't care, woman or what, you gotta just come see me. So well, just have the question I want to bring up quick. though is, is the, what, to me, the, art, the did, whole conversation is about the desire to punish very incredibly wealthy tech. So for example, it, uh, Clubhouse, raise, Clubhouse raises a four billion valuation. There's a room going on, and the rooms I like to hang out in. Gen sincerely, genuinely like to hang out. The rooms I learn the most in. And the it what what happens when somebody says, "Oh, I just thought of a, an interest." I I feel offended that this is being a black member of a room says, "You know what? I don't like that word being used. I feel a tag. You're using that word towards me. I don't like that. This is happening on this app." 
oh, you just raised at a $4 billion valuation? My cousin's a lawyer. Hey, do we, do we have a case here? Can we get a jury that could award me some money from this $4 billion company? don't have a case. Maybe I not. There's no precedent. That's fine. It's a jury case. That's fine. But Tyler, Tyler, no, Tyler, Tyler. No I'm sorry. Excuse me. That. That's fine. No, excuse me. No, hold on. But let me let me just interject. Okay, so we don't go binary. Tyler, there has to also be that precedence in, in a systematic consistency. So, you know, if you got clubhouse rules and everything and there's a systematic consistency, I think you're right on one point where something can be drawn out. But is there that systematic pattern over time, yes. you know, months, years, et cetera? Right. And is that continuing to be ignored? My, that's my point is the, the app would likely say we're not going to police that. And Tesla probably said we're not going to police that because that is our black Different crew situation. members on the assembly line talking amongst themselves in a way that we don't think is creating a hostile work environment. And then you get a jury who says, nope, we want to punish you. You're wealthy bastards. You're the wealthiest people on the planet. And we want to see you pay. You know, uh, real quick, um, you know, companies decide their culture and they got to stand by it. And uh, though we're talking about a word here, um, you know, a lot of words are thrown out by a lot of different groups. But I'm not going to talk about the clubhouse thing because there's a lot of idiocracy here. Uh, on Clubhouse, not in this room, but particular to Tesla and manufacturing jobs. Look, the word the companies own the words that are used, whether it is this word or harassment, they can decide what is appropriate and then they need to enforce it. The jury decided that it, it was appropriate. I'll tell you, I've worked all over the U.S. and in pretty high, pretty decent level uh, roles. And in Northern California, the microaggressions and other aggressions were worse than the ones that I dealt with in the South. And so, you, Robert, I was going to say that too. So, like, as an engineer, I've I've never been in like I grew up in the '80s, right? In in Hawthorne on 120th, I pl all my friends were black. Uh, we, you know, they used the word, I didn't use the word. However, yeah, well, I've, I've never been never around those things. I've that never I encountered things, it. But I've All I'm saying is companies enough, set like the culture professional and setting. you can influence the culture. Because when I came out here, I had employees that had nooses in their office. And I would just literally, and I'm talking NorCal, and I, would, I wouldn't say anything directly because I observed the people above me to see how they reacted. So right now we're focusing on the language. Companies got to decide the culture. And, and Tyler, I think you're asking the, literally the right questions. I'm not as much in the app thing, but the Tesla thing, if I was Tesla, I'd go through and reprimand each one of those people and say, look, there's language that we want to have here, just as you can't talk a certain way to women. I get there's certain things that you may do outside of your outside of the company, but you can't bring that in here and you're easily replaceable. But and I also think though, Robert, one other point, though, Elon tried to do that buddy thing, because I, I do know a couple of people that worked at Tesla in the past in Fremont. Where, you know, he would go on Joe Rogan and smoke a, a J, right? Okay, so for people that don't know, that's marijuana. And so, you know, there was a big hoo-ha-ha about it because it was legal in California, et cetera. And yet he's the CEO of Tesla, did it in his off time. But, you know, stock went down, but went back up. So Elon kind of is this uh, maverick. And you're right, there's a separation between a founder or CEO. He's not the founder of Tesla, but he's a CEO. 
of what you set versus do they follow you? Because I think we also need to go back to a very, what I knew personally as well for some people, to a very toxic environment was Uber and Tavis. I mean, he's a great visionary, but Tavis did create a very, you know, in my opinion, toxic culture at Uber um, as far as what they needed to do to win. And so there's a difference, in my opinion, there's a difference of that line of do they follow you? When do you enforce it? When do you allow people to, you know, libertarian to be free? And, and when does it become too much? But we always have to have the finger on the post and be watching it because it's not something you can delegate. It's, it's something that you have to talk to your team and be like, what's going on? And if HR is like, well, I don't want to deal with that, then I agree with you, Robert. Well, Whoever that lastly, HR person is, is replaceable. Just lastly, what I love about this case is it creates a precedent. Not that I care about the dollar mm-hmm. amount, but if I'm a corporation, I'm going in and saying, this is my culture. There are words that we will not accept, and you will just need to understand the appropriateness. And it now gives HR carte blanche to do whatever the heck they need to do to have a clear-cut operation in their company and, and speak the Queen's English. But, but also, Robert, one final point. It's not even words. It's beyond that. It's a culture. You got to like, yeah, I'm, I'm, men can harass women and follow them to the bathroom, right, without even saying a word. So it's a culture that needs to come down, and it comes from leadership. So I do agree with you there. So it's not binary where you say a word, don't say a word, and this and that, or when you use it. But this, the society has to be where, you know, it's all people are accepted. And if you don't agree with it, there's the door. And if you don't like the door, you know, step. So here, check this out. I just found uh, an, a re- similar case against Facebook. It says two African-American men filed a federal lawsuit against Facebook last week. This is an older article, so it's not last week. Citing patterns of discrimination in a series of racist acts that allegedly took place at a company data center in North Carolina. Of the men, Robert Gary currently works as a maintenance worker and claims he had been paid lower wages and received smaller raises than white employees to do the same job. And the other, Robert Duffy, who was allegedly the plant's uh, African-American manager, says he left the company in October after being stripped of many of his duties and confronting systemic racism at this, uh, 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 I guess, uh, data center, perhaps. The men's complaint filed in California also describes a supervisor at the data center making repeated use of racial epithets and joking about another black employee's allergy to bananas. According to the lawsuit, Gary and Duffy informed Facebook's human resources department of the situation, leading leading the company to conduct several investigations. The probes did not serve to address their complaints, claimed the men. The Facebook spokesperson told Fortune, as soon as... We were made aware of the supervisor's behavior. We investigated and took quick action to terminate his employment and provided extensive anti-bias, anti-harassment, anti-discrimination training to all data center employees. We're an equal opportunity employer, etc. The lawsuit claims the acts of Facebook's two managers at North Carolina plant and the other unnamed employees at the company violated the Civil Rights Act. The suit seeks a jury trial. And then the question is... Uh, in the, if this were to happen today with Facebook, with a jury trial, and by the way, maybe we don't know, the article doesn't say what the race of that supervisor is who was making racial epithets to this person, right? The Mr. Duffy, who 
says, uh, da, 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 where was it? Joe, uh, described the supervisor at the data center making repeated use of racial epithets. What, what, ha- I guess it doesn't matter legally the race of the person making those racial epithets. What if it's a black supervisor making racial epithets to a black employee? He might have felt, well, I can do this because we're both black, but still should be fired. Right. And the, and the jury would still likely say, aha, you're Facebook. uh, This person was on the receiving end of racial epithets at your workplace. And it's a jury trial. How much do we think that jury would award? somebody on the receiving end of racial epithets not maybe not even knowing the ra- the uh the other the race of the person giving the racial epithets would it even matter would it even be allowed to be admitted into court i'm sure that it would be um however tyler i i think we're you know acting like certain things are one off no, no, what, no, no, what I, I, what my point is, is juries want to punish big tech companies and there's, and I'm perceiving as uh, an interesting scenario in 2021 when there's, e- it's not difficult to arrange a trial of juries that would award a hundred million dollars to somebody. And here's where we are in 2021. And so the companies need to take this into account. And I imagine yeah, it's not. It doesn't legally apply to social media platforms, but even social media platforms like social audio networks need to be a little more uh, careful than usual, perhaps. Because uh, it'll be interesting to see if it's so. Because in Twitter land, there. Well, no, I, I, I'm just pre-anticipating potentially in right in, a, in the social audio where this is a new format of engagement. It's a whole new medium, you know. And which is what I studied in school. And, you know, if you take communications, as many people do, this is a new medium that we're engaging in. What happens when it turns into somebody accuses, you know, that I was racially harassed on this platform? Well, I think like, so let's take Clubhouse, this particular app. okay? because I've hovered around in some rooms that were very extremely offensive. I've actually screenshotted them and shared them with Clubhouse on my Twitter page. The titles are atrocious. The the, the content in those rooms are atrocious and very divisive. However, one thing that this app allows you to do is to report content within a room that is offensive. And it's a very easy process. And I've, I've noticed in the hallways, after making several reports, that people do things to try to uh, get around what Clubhouse looks like it's working to fix. I think that's a, a, a huge thing. When somebody comes to you with a problem and or a concern, you do your investigation. I was in human resources, so this is even for workplaces. Mm-hmm. You do your investigation. If you find out these things are valid, then you do things to correct them. And I think that any you know jury or judge would would take that into careful consideration a complaint was bought and the company did uh it's it's best to try to rectify those situations in in an advent like well in an app like clubhouse if somebody continues to host offensive content i think they should remove that person from the platform 
you know, how long do you uh, allow uh, a moderator to host rooms to say black men ain't shit? You know, because I've seen that... types... That, that's a but, hey. Like this is a great point, it, man. But that's... but Alonzo, I, I and just to add to your point though, you know, it gets tricky because damn. Well, I would yeah. just go in the room and challenge him. But I, I'm saying it, it's interesting because when you get into this whole what Clubhouse is trying to do, right? In Facebook, freedom of speech. You know, if it's controversy, you get more rooms. And, and thank God, like it's where you spend your time because tech news. I'm about solutions versus discussing the same damn right. problem over right. and over and over, right. right? And so, you know, we can't. I mean, some. You're right. I mean, there used to be, the you know, <laughs> Charlie won't go there, but I will. There used to be. You could make a million dollars, like back in the day in Clubhouse when it was first beginning. They were like, let me coach you how to make a million dollars in like two weeks. And I'm like, what the f- is this? You know, but this, you know, I think Clubhouse is trying to create where they want to grow or these new mediums and they want to get more users engaged. And then it's just a post on the culture globally of where are we? And, you know, how do you constantly walk that fine line? Because some will counter sue you on the side of, well, you're limiting my free speech. Right. Let's say, you know, Trump's side. And like, you know, why can't we just say Biden's son's corrupt and he shouldn't, you know? <laughs> so when do but, you, you really, this-, this is a platform, it's not an employer. So earlier, right. Tyler, you'd ask what would happen exactly. if someone said they were offended by someone who happened to be of the same ethnicity, who used the, you know, used an offensive word. You know, from my point of view, um, taking offense is not, you know, being offended is not, you know, does it, it doesn't have any legal standing right. or barrier. You know, my feelings are hurt. Yeah, maybe I'll go to HR. And then if there's a pattern of offense where I feel threatened, I think that that becomes the demarcation, right? So, so I think that's one piece of it. And then to this latter point, um, people have the opportunity, they can choose to leave a room. I have left rooms like this is some garbage, you know? Right. And so I'm going to choose to remove myself from, from, from this particular space. And so I think that's what differentiates platforms like Clubhouse where people do have the right to say what they want. I mean, I, I, you know, I probably need to go back and read the terms of agreement, probably to the extent of not, you know, um, threatening or causing, you know, whatever, you know, but, but more than just not offending people. But if people are offended, they have the option to leave. And, and, and so I think, you know, we just need to keep the situations and the scenarios separate before, you know, we just start piling on and confounding different types of scenarios. Lakeisha, yeah, well said as usual. Racial discussion, um, because to back to what I think the core of what you're saying, in my opinion, and we saw it in the cigarette industry because I would work for a company that was owned by that, is the more money certain industries get, and especially when they become popular and more wealthy, it's like, what's the mindset of the jewelry? Regardless right. of the topic. That's my point, and yeah. I think you're landing on something, toss out the racial shit right now, but the, you're landing on something in that juries will go away, whether it's whatever kind of harassment you're talking about, Tech has to be on their P's and Q's and how they determine and set their culture will guide how they will be handled by the juries. And I look forward for us talking to more tech stuff now. Okay. Yes. Tyler. 
Yeah. To, to the comment of the gentleman that just spoke regarding that, I think that this is also the similar thing that is happening in the crypto space as well. You know, when you start to see new innovative industry verticals come out, especially when they surround around technology and finance, traditionally patriarchal, patriarchal industries, there tends to be less, mm, less of the empathic, less of the cultural, the emotional intelligence or less of the interpersonal skills focused on. And I remember that from the start, the startup of uh, .com back in 1999, when I worked for Fox Sports and Fox News, it was really clear and evident that the, digit, the speed of innovation and what was happening back then, people were kind of seeing human resources, and Chetna's not in the room, I don't think, but people were looking at human resources as like, oh, no, no, we don't need it. We just gotta hustle, we gotta move fast, we gotta move yeah. fast but they forget the main component, which is that people are what make up your company and your organizational culture is, is really important, but because of the speed of the industry's growth, it tends to be the one place where people are like, oh no, we're not gonna put money in there, we gotta put money in somewhere else. And then it ends up biting them in the ass. And the same thing is already beginning to happen in the crypto space, it's already happening. So how can this be mitigated? And I think quite frankly, the mitigation comes from the, the top 20 skills that LinkedIn has even said, one of the top three is interpersonal skills, change of communication, because I gotta be really transparent there's not a lot of people that could carry a respectful conversation in, a, in the, let's go back to 99 and I'll just talk from the past and my experience. I was managing a team of 40 software engineers reporting into James Murdoch, the CFO and, you know, another executive. And I felt like I was a parent. I was like, is this like a free for all in here? And I was just like, this doesn't make sense. But they never saw the value of it because the people that had the innovative ideas, the CTO was 28 at the time. So there has to be a level of marrying the two together. And I think this is more prevalent in certain industries than in others, because I also spent a number of, a number of uh, years, over a decade in the fashion industry. And we didn't run into this problem as much as what I ran into it in the second half of my career when I went into tech and I was like, wow, this is dramatically different. And I think that the problem still needs to be solved, but the problem cannot be solved by the same minds that are creating the problem. And unfortunately, as Ella said, most of those executives in those positions are not necessarily of those that have a cultural diverse background that have been have experience have been on the side of receiving that that experience from a colleague, from an executive, from a peer, from a client, from a reseller. They haven't had that um, experience, that taste of what it feels like, and that I think is where it's going to be a very challenging problem to solve. And that problem's already beginning inside the crypto space. So I'm just googling on this case. The the Mercury News, which is in San Jose, right where the Tesla factory is, the headline says, at Tesla, suit claimed dream job tarnished by discrimination and harassment. Hold on one second. Where did it go? It says, Tesla's worker lawsuit, harassment or friends trash talk is the headline from San Jose Mercury News there in, in near Fremont, San Jose. And the headline is, was it just friendly friends trash talking? And it points out in this article that the person who did the suit, Mr. Lampert, concedes that the person using the language was his personal friend who also worked at the company. 
that it they were hazing him essentially and that they when when confronted they the 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 hr department confronted his his own that he agrees it's his own personal friend he has a personal friend relationship with the person who stole his phone and recorded a video on his phone that he felt was har- harassment well yeah it's your friend harassing you it just happens that they're doing it at your workplace but the uh additionally kind of not mentioned in the New York Times article that Mr. Lampert himself was using these same racial insensitive words back to his friends. He'll he'll lose it on appeal. He's an idiot to be talking to, so it says a lot about himself. This is a wild. But you know what? That's that's interesting. That's just getting me so deep. You're right, Robert. But that's just that's just so deep because if this is his personal friend, then the first New York Times article, the one you read earlier, Tyler, isn't even telling the whole truth or even close to it. It's not even correct because is it systemic? Is it an issue? Is it his son? You know, is he just mad? It's just intriguing. Is, are they just running a game? It's a, yeah, because this it, is like, this is his friend? I mean, damn, I boy, you, you was, like, what are you, soft? I joked about. That's a, why I joked he, about. And it's not the joke about the racism, but I joke saying, dude, if they're going to hire an elevator operator, why don't you come and I said, Ben, why don't you call me yellow? Because I'll be very honest. If I hear yellow or Chinaman or chink, that shit sets me off. Just like the N-word does for you. And, so check this you out. know, you can say, hey, hand me more yellow Teslas. Hey, hey, bring some more yellow Teslas this way. And that would be a microaggression, right? And so I- I'm now going on a tangent, but I-, I really think it's an inside job, to be honest. Yeah, I don't trust the journalists, too. I mean, it could be a lot of different things going on. The jury can't be that dumb, and there has to be more. Okay, to Robert. <laughs> so the, Yeah, the but test... there has to be more to this case than them just passing Here, on that. Yeah, here's the quote Are there from... Are any other tech news stories? We've yeah. been on this one for two hours. Yeah. Over two hours. Yep. So it says this. Here's the quote from Tesla. We looked into... The room hasn't even been open for two hours, Suzanne. We looked into his claims and found that the co-workers DeWitt complained about described the situation very differently, the company said. Tesla says they claimed once again that they had all been friends and socialized outside of work and that all of them, including DeWitt, used similar insensitive language with each other on a regular ongoing basis, including in social contexts outside of the workplace. I'll accept your apology. The room's been open for two hours and 13 minutes, Tyler. It opened two, at 11. Two ten, one yep. thir- yeah, so I think you were wrong when you said the room hasn't been yeah, open. Yeah, and I think you were wrong that we've been on this for hours. two hours. Okay, you know what? I think there will be big business out of this. I think the attorney will go around asking for people to do this if this case is moving forward. There's no appeal, right? Is it already finalized? They have to pay the bill. Tests well, they, have to pay. It'll be They're interesting to see if they appeal, as Robert said. They would appeal it. It's yeah. too big. Yeah, but Tyler, to your, I do, I do think that a lot of attorneys would use this as a as a business opportunity. And Tyler, to your point, though, you've said this before. This is a, a U.S. thing, um, so you you always say tech news around the world and. So for the audience, we can go global because racism is deep in this country and, and it, it could be used and pivot on tech and all these other issues in America. But I like hearing tech news from around the world to learn other things besides America's problems. <laughs> I, I don't think this is more of a big tech issue that I think is very interesting. A bit, a, a, how It's about a societal issue of yeah. the, ha- the wealth disparity. 
and how juries are, are going to put there's a huge pushback against big rich companies of all kinds not even just tech but tech very much is in the focus and, and the saddest I, I, part i'm sorry cut tyler i, I, I just there's an interest the journalists are going after big tech i think we're going to see jur cases where there's juries they will handsomely reward anyone going against big tech and we have a whole bunch of whistleblowers just to make mm -hmm. this perfectly clear for people who who have trouble mm -hmm. connecting dots we did just read a headline i don't know an hour ago about this with the it was actually about 40 minutes ago of whistleblowers and there's now going to be a platform for whistleblowers to make it much easier for them to whistle blow, mm -hmm. which is going to lead to a lot more big lawsuits like this. But Tyler, you covered this six months ago when we were talking about economic growth in these countries locking down on Twitter, you know, India and so forth. Like at the end of the day, the governments even, you're right, or in juries and, and Western Here's countries. my point. Is the lady is from Pinterest who who started who's in the news yesterday and again today because of Gavin Newsom's new law that he signed yesterday, Thursday evening, about making it easier for people to claim you know that they were harassed or discriminated at work. She happens to be black. She happened her particular claim at Pinterest was about racial discrimination at Pinterest, and the idea that there's now an easy way for the tech companies that have 100,000 employees to whistleblow and do all of this. There will be jury cases. This could turn, as I said, we're going to see a lot more headlines, a, hot, a lot more whistleblowing and a lot more lawsuits. And the question is, what will those juries be awarding in those lawsuits? Hey, Tyler, don't yes. forget the Oracle case with the cast. I mean, guys, I think Americans think too often that it's just America. But look, every country has issues like this when you're defined as the other. And even in or even in the U.S., we have these issues, but other countries do, too. So this but we're just talking about our jury system here. But if you look at Oracle, they had a cast system. I mean, they have a cast lawsuit out there. More of those now with the Gavin Newsom thing going on, too. So you could talk about harassment, cast, racial. It's all going to happen. These guys got a pocket full of money and the juries are going to reward the place and the people that come with the saddest songs. The, and they'll distribute the money. The okay. saddest part, though, is that the 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 money gets awarded, but it doesn't go towards the problem. Except exactly. If you, except if you look at it from the punitive repercussions. So to that end, you know, it kind of closes the loop there, right? Like, so I agree with a lot of people. In this case, probably just need to develop stronger policies as a company. And, and Chris, and Chris, like Tyler says, and Robert, maybe we should offline i'll ping you chris and start a startup let tyler be part of it that does ai on discrimination and, and hr and tracker <laughs> no, the whole debate is that the ai thing. themselves are have bias and racism that, no but i can change that i can prove okay. that with agi okay. I, i'm not worried about that okay yeah, so i'm all that... about cleaning up and firing people so just call me when you want to do that and get the okay right so this that what inspired that was this headline from, about, from The Verge about Gavin Newsom signing the No More, okay. Silenced No More Act, which then we brought up the Tesla plant article. That was the 15th uh, article of today. Here's number 16, Wall Street Journal. Ireland, where most U.S. tech companies have their European HQs, 
says it will join the global agreement to set a minimum rate of 15% for taxing corporate profits. The country has been one of the small number of holdouts on an agreement that aims to overhaul global taxation, where all of the European countries got together. It was actually a global gathering, and they wanted to close up the loopholes that allowed these big tech companies to avoid paying taxes by going to places, particular countries, hint hint Ireland, who were giving them incredibly favorable tax rates. And so it was Ireland and one other, I believe it was Liechtenstein, were the two holdouts in this global arrangement because Ireland has built an incredibly robust economy by rolling out the red tax carpet for all of these big tech companies. And they were, yeah, the holdouts, but now they've agreed they're going to join the rest of the, the world in taxing their own companies 15%, which Ireland says, okay, twist our arm. We will tax all of these uh, tech, tech giants that are all based in Ireland 15% because you insist the rest of the world. So Ireland's going to make a ton of money, but uh, will, will the tech companies come up with other plans? I guess to be continued. Number 17 from Video Games Chronicle. Twitch acknowledges a breach after a 4chan user leaks the source code creator payouts from 2019 to 2022 proprietary SDKs, internal AWS services, and more, which they have to do. They, it's, there's, they had no choice but to acknowledge it. They would look foolish otherwise. It was widely under, known that there was this breach. There, yeah. So acknowledging it, I guess, is... Uh, I don't know if that's really headline worthy, but they've acknowledged it. Uh, next one, search engine land. Google confirms a bug that causes AMP URLs. Oh, this is Google's new UR, new uh, structure that a lot of people are not very fond of. Uh, they confirmed that there's a bug that causes the AMP URLs in Google search results on devices running iOS 15 to redirect to the original site's page says it's working on a fix. The bug should be resolved soon, according to a Google, Google spokesperson with the iOS 15 release. Uh, the AMP URLs in Google search just stopped working. So they'll just a minor tech detail. Next one from Bloomberg, a deep dive on Tether, which issues 48 billion coins this year as regulators struggle to understand its cash reserves, which they're a bit cagey about in the interview that I saw uh, their uh, chief legal officer do. That was a wild interview. Organizational structure and other details. A wild search for the U.S. dollars supposedly backing the stable coin Tether at the center of the global cryptocurrency trade and in the crosshairs of U.S. regulators and prosecutors. Yep, that's going to be important to find out what's really backing Tether, as they claim to be backed by dollars, and if, oh boy, could that be uh, a powder keg. The next one is from about Palantir, says it has signed a $90 million four-year contract to help investigate data across the Department of Veterans Affairs Health Systems. Big data analytics company Palantir is expanding its health and defense-related work with its first major contract with the the Department of Veterans Affairs, the company told. Okay, $90 million deal for Palantir. Samsung does their Q3 
operating profit uh, up 28% year over year, 13.26 billion. It's the best in three years, but warns that chips could be entering a down cycle as laptop demand subsides. And a startup Tyler, called, yep. Sorry, if I can just jump in on Palantir. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to do something like it, but on a smaller level, but this company is growing phenomenally because what they've created is a system and it's something I've always, I, I, I will do, God's willing, with, with small businesses, where Palantir gives you the AI or the software, AGI, but they never collect the data. They hand it over to the systems to sort of do an inventory check, like an audit. And they could do it off of events or devs, which most people don't know, discrete events systems. They won't ever say it, but that's what they're using. And they can look at isolation points, because I am a veteran. I was in the Marine Corps. I served like systematically and again we keep talking about systematically because i think this may cross over to lawyers as well where at at this time you can do time stamps and say when did this occur and what was the policy after that and just go sequentially by time and so it's intriguing to me because i think they'll keep growing because the veterans have just been mistreated a lot and it just it just makes me upset about it where you go to the hospital for health care not myself thank god but others and it's just bad and so and but they would get a lot of money you know taxpayer money from the government and i just don't know what to deal with the damn money that's all okay a startup called chronosphere which offers cloud-based tools to monitor infrastructure raises 200 million from general atlantic facebook details its efforts to bring more people online including something called bomb bombyx bomb yx a robot that climbs medium voltage power lines to install fiber. Oh, that you can see the robot here. You got to see this. Got to tweet that out. Okay. So it says Facebook connectivity showed off new technologies designed to help bring the next billion people online faster internet. The tech includes a robot called bomb bombyx, spelled bomb YX that can rapidly install fiber optic cable over telephone wires in a fraction of the time it usually takes. It also showed off Terragraph, a wireless tech that can deliver fiber-like wireless networking in the last mile in areas that are harder to reach with cables. And Facebook also showed a new segment of subsea cable dubbed Two Africa Pearls that has become the world's longest subsea cable system connecting internet across Africa, Europe, and Asia. The company, or sorry, the cable could triple the amount of internet bandwidth reaching Africa, said Facebook Chief Technology Officer Mike Schroepfer in a press briefing. Yeah, both Google and Facebook are racing to connect Africa with big cables, which will bring a a lot more connectivity to Africa. And that it raises an interesting question, a dilemma of sorts of big tech, which uh, there's, as we just were talking about, uh, the, a whole lot of social dis, uh, displeasure with the big tech companies that have made so much money, especially during COVID. I, I've seen a whole lot of articles, the headlines saying, uh, Google and Facebook made billions during COVID while everyone lost money. Big tech didn't. They made so much money. And how do we feel about the reality that those very big wealthy tech companies are providing the Internet connectivity to 
in this case, Africa. And they would those and would that internet connectivity, and of course they're doing it for selfish reasons, of course. But uh, it's a complicated <laughs> uh, scenario. How do we it's feel business. about? Yeah, it's of course business. it's business, but this their success allows them to invest, and th this is classic Republican versus Democrat kind of <laughs> uh, debate that I'm proposing here, where big tech with all of their big money and they're, they want to monetize Africa. And so they're going to provide the platform of the connectivity that's necessary to then capitalize on the opportunity. Is this good, net good, net bad? Have at it. No different than Belton Road. Let them both rock and roll. Yeah, it's, so it, it, I, I, that's a great point. It's sort of like a digital Belton Road, yeah? Exactly. Digital Belt Road. Interesting. I think I, I think it, it, it is. There is um, in a lot of cases, it has been a great development and a plus. But I think uh, what they need to do is really, really be careful because I think, like you said, they, it's business and, and they have also the same as China. Uh, they have their own best interest at heart. So I think uh, when Facebook had the data center in Kenya, they were really, you know, uh, completely taking control of the data, right? They wanted to know what farmers are doing and not just connect them uh, so that, you know, like you said, the sweet, sweet data um, and, and um, the other the other also competitors, whether it's Amazon and especially now Google, right? That they invested in that billion dollars for the next five years. For me, uh, that was quite quite interesting how they strategically changed their model. It used to be like, you know, the Google, the Africa accelerator that has been happening. They have been giving like in kind kind of money by giving them technical assistance and access to their, uh, you know, their resources and, and giving them awards and uh, um grants and now they are investing in half of that billion dollars into getting equity into these successful fintechs and things like that so to me is like okay well how's um, aws doing and uh, taking control of the data are they going to box out the africans and right now the way we see most successful african businesses whether it's you know the unicorns that we see they are all headquartered in san francisco they are all well connected and they all are doing and, and the African founders are not benefiting. The African countries are not benefiting because the dollars are still moving out of Africa. So they have to be careful because the governments are in full control. So um, that's what I would say, um, you know. So, so Messi, I have a question for you and Tyler and the rest of the group, especially when we're talking about whether it's this or the Belt and Road, isn't it? incumbent upon the country's leadership to properly negotiate for the best interests of the country and their people yep. and move away from these historical parentalistic things. So why blame the company or China if they can get a better deal if the country negotiates Great point. the way they negotiate? Great point. Check this out. On, on that digital belt and road point. And here's kind of the bigger point I want to tease here is uh, New York Times, Kara Swisher did a piece in the New York Times. The headline says 
the crackdown in China is a hot mess and it's coming for us. And she did an interview with Mark Zuckerberg. And she says on one topic, at least Mark Zuckerberg was right. And she's no fan of Mark Zuckerberg. She's been railing on him on the press recently with this whole whistleblower stuff and the Senate hearing in the recent days. And she says, three years ago, I inter- in an interview with me while attempting to dodge questions about the growing misinformation issues on Facebook, he shifted the conversation to the growing dangers from China across the digital landscape. He argued, meaning Mark Zuckerberg, that tech companies like Facebook needed to be large if only to fend off challenges from an Asian giant and its ever more powerful government-controlled companies. Here's the quote from Mark Zuckerberg. If we adopt a stance which is like, okay, we're going to, as a country, decide that we want to clip the wings of these companies like Facebook and make it so that it's harder for them to operate in different places where they have to be smaller, then there are plenty of other companies, he said, that are willing to and able to take the place of the work that we're doing, and like this connectivity to Africa. So if Facebook's only able to bring these big cables because they haven't had their wings clipped, And if they had had their wings clipped, it's likely Huawei that would be bringing these Internet cables to China. The last time I heard this was in the banking industry where they talked about too big to fail uh, and also in the 90s and all those things with deregulation. So, uh, wow, that's an interesting argument. I mean, it's a good one, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, she she even concedes. She says, well, I didn't buy his G or me argument. He was correct. Karis Wisher, a very a, a well-known uh, Facebook critic, is agree- is agreeing on this point that it, this is uh, what what are we to do? And and he essentially Zuckerberg's trying to make an argument. He can't do it in public because he'd get crucified for it. But in conversations with the uh, administration, whether it be Trump or Biden, whoever, that hey, look, you might want to think twice about breaking us up. Because we're your knight on the chessboard against Huawei in, in other parts of the world. Well, but Tyler, is, but Tyler, literally, oh. go ahead, go ahead. But Tyler, the one thing is a balance too, right? So um, to Missy, what she said, and, and she knows it's from Ethiopia because my son's from there, um, is you're talking about, so you're talking about three folks. It's a, you know, triple chess player, go where, okay, the two big companies, do you go against this this evil empire or that evil empire or whatever? And Facebook is correct in that sense. But then on the smaller side of the government, you have systemic corruption, which then the big companies can continue to pay, um, you know, these political leaders in these third world countries to buy them off to allow these things to pass. And so you don't have that organic or, or homegrown wealth created and it just continues to be this systemic, you know, domino pattern for years in. And it's like 100 years later, nothing's changed, even though technologies has grown. So why doesn't the dollar stay in Ethiopia or Africa or whatever? They can never get a they can never thread water. So it becomes um, I, I don't know. It's not binary. I think it's almost quantum. It's just there's three states occurring at the same time. And one is. I agree. One is, do you do Facebook or do you do Xi Jinping and Huawei, right? So that's that's a, a an argument. But on the bottom or the lower level is how do they ever come up if they can never get a handout, you know, something that supports them from their own government where they'll take that money in and it just, it just continues and the poverty continues. 
You know, the, the, the Pandora's uh, documents that, that came out, the leak, is your prime example, right? Uh, it's not just the African corrupt leaders, which tends, like, it, it continues. It kills you how much money is going. To me, it's like, I, I wish they can steal it and keep it in Africa so that at least it, it can develop, the, you know, the countries. But it just keeps on going to develop the countries, Swiss and, and you know, Virgin Islands and things like that. We all saw that. Uh, we discussed it in the Africa room the other day. Um, but it is also the developed countries, consulting firms and lawyers who are actually uh, helping them just lose the entire continent. And, and, and I give you a granted that it's everywhere. Corruption, corruption is everywhere, but it just is very sad. So like Robert asked the questions why the leaders don't negotiate. That's exactly my question all the time when we talk about it. And, and, you know, Botswana, for example, one of the shining country in Africa negotiated quite well with their diamonds and, and with Deber. And now they, they have nothing else, but they are the only country in the world who actually can, can live on their savings for two years, including any developed countries because of what they did, because of the good leadership that they have. And most African countries, they, they don't. So what they do is they just collude with this, uh, you know, whether you Oil companies look at Nigeria, how billions and billions keep keeps on leaving the country, and other Angola. Look at the De Santos paper. The president's daughter is what multi billionaire. Now we find out she stole it, you know. But as you can see, what is that? W, uh, WFC? Uh, which one was that? The, the known consulting firm that a couple of people resigned because they were the one helping her um, actually shelter all that money all over the place. So how do we solve this so that it's, it, it's not just the leader's problem? How can also have a better way of doing things so that the Africans actually grow the Africa and the, the, the money stays so that, you know, that we, all the resources that we have, we can develop the entire globe, not just Africa, can actually develop. That's the issue. And that's why everybody is looking at, you know, the China or, or big tech and others. And they say, well, we all, none of us benefit no matter who come. Yeah, um, I, I wish, I wish actually, Today, for example, you know, Africa used to have no option. The Western uh, uh, used to give financing and then they, they attach it to stringent con conditionality. But now we have options. We have China, we have others. So how can we take that into our advantage and, and benefit from that type of alternative financing? But no one does it because I think everybody is looking to benefit their personally, not, not the countries. So, so okay. Messi. Yeah. Yep. It's all it's all about transparency. So um, you find about it later because there's it's such a sluggish system when it comes to finances. And this is one reason I think actual national kind of crypto initiatives are really, really good uh, to create that transparency where you really, you know, you everyone will know all the time what's going on. Uh, while with with uh, any, the system now, it's really, really sluggish and it comes out, you know, one or 10 years later, if you're lucky and you can hide behind so many things. But yeah. OK, so we've got. Oh, boy, we got a, We have a monkey dog rumble here in the, in the jungle. Sorry for that. The monkey is back. 
yeah there's a bunch of monkeys coming down and the dogs always have fun with the monkeys so uh then the, the, yeah they're trying their luck again it's not going to end well for the monkeys i can assure you um ibm tells u.s staff they must be vaccinated by december 8th or face unpaid suspension and get a, a new startup called get safe a neo insurer that's the first time I've heard that, and that is going to stick. Just like we have Neo Banks, which are these soft, you know, app-like banks like Revolut and Mondo and N26 and what have you. Here it is, Neo Insurer, aimed at millennials. Yep, because that's who's going to use a Neo Insurer. That says it has 250,000 users across Germany and the UK. Extends its Series B to 93 million dollars. Called Get Safe, great name for an, a Neo Insurance company. Here they come. The data-driven app-like, super simple, data-driven insurance companies, Neo Insurers, as a whole new category. It's going to make a ton of money. If you need to make a billion dollars in the next few years, you might want to think about getting a data scientist, somebody who's a senior person at an insurance company, getting them together for a, a little quick meeting at Starbucks and say, how would you guys like to split up uh, a unicorn. How would you like to make a unicorn, everybody? Because this is, you want to know how unicorns get made? This is how you make unicorns right here. So, Tyler. Yeah. What What is the get uh, safe specifically insuring? What space are they in? Here it is. Get safe. I'm just opening the article now. Get safe. A Nero insurer has a quarter of a million customers in Germany and UK hopes to use the funds to expand further. German digital insurance firm GetSafe has completed a Series B of 93 million. Among its new investors are some of the latest, are the largest family offices from Germany and Switzerland. And the Neo insurer has made a name for itself, targeting millennial customers and currently serve a quarter of a million people. The company has digitized the entire insurance process, making it accessible through a smartphone app. Via the app, customers can buy, manage and adapt their policies, as well as file a claim instantly. The insurance brands we know today have been founded in a totally different era. Yep, kind of as I've always said it. Meaning they didn't use data, as I think is what they're trying to say. But insurance, more than any other products, can be better when powered by technology and machine learning. Yep, exactly and, right. And, and, and Tyler, to ask that point, I think this will be on a side chain, which is better known as a blockchain, but a side chain for a ledger. Because insurance needs to keep that legally to be able to track it. And if you talk about data and AI, I think we'll see more of this in the future. And I know MA doesn't like it, but you're going to see more sure. um, centralized tokenization, not decentralized. Check out but this. side book. chains. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It says, but insurance, more than many other products, can be made better when powered by technology and machine learning. This is why we believe that insurance companies built from scratch on their own digital platform are set to become the dominant insurance players of generations to come. Do you know how many billions of dollars that is? It's, it's content, liability, car insurance. That's what they're talking about. So those are the areas that they're entering with. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay, here we go. So, Neo Insurer, you heard it here. That's the first time I've heard the phrase, like Neo Banks is clever. Love it. Uh, it. All it takes is a phone in your pocket, and it knows how fast you're going, and knows your driving behavior, and knows how you walk, and knows if you exercise. Um, it goes down the Forrest Gump line, I like to call it, for 
Tyler when he goes down the things they can detect off of your eyes. <laughs> I, so, I imagine yeah, they'll want access. On. They're, they're going to make an Apple Watch app, and they're going to get all the data from your Apple Watch, and it, here it comes. Ooh, so dental also. Well, the Apple Watch is about to add blood glucose monitoring and heart rate this and blood pressure that, and it's like, can are you kidding me with the amount the the health insurance that you'll be able to do knowing the, what doctors dreamed they could know about? Yeah. The elevator, the elevator operator, I'm sorry to go there. The elevator operator's lawsuit of 2040 will actually know the heart rate and know if he actually did get charged. And hopefully, for God's sakes, we won't be discussing the same stuff in 2040. An annual EU report on social media content moderation shows companies removed 62.5% of flagged material, uh, which is down from 71% of flagged material in 2019. So does that mean they're removing less? Well, they are removing less flagged material. The question is, why is it because people are flagging more material that shouldn't be flagged or that they feel shouldn't be taken down? Uh, um, London-based company called Cord, which offers a single API to add Slack-like collaboration to apps, which is genius. That's totally sinisterly genius, by the way. Raises $17 million led by Index uh, out of London. But the ability to add Slack-like collaboration to pre-existing apps, it, that's totally, 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 totally genius because the communication products and services inside Slack are very useful and helpful, but there's a lot of companies who don't want to start using Slack. They already have apps native apps internally that they use and they would love to add slack like functions and features into their existing tools and this uh, allows them to do it incredibly simply so this will be big that's that's a genius startup idea right there um so rather than cloning slack and becoming a slack competitor make slack usable to an audience who wasn't already using Slack. They could go use Slack. It's hard to compete with Slack directly, but change it, shake it up, and make it uh, people use Slack in a way that on their own terms is clever. Tyler? So, yeah. There there are three really, really, really good open source Slack copies Yeah, that are a lot more secure, like Mattermost and, mm-hmm. and uh, Mastodon and, and so forth. Uh, so it's actually really, really simple also to do from a tech-wise because there's so much code already out there that's really good. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be big and good. So there's a new headline that's now the number one headline as people are waking up across Europe. It's from Vice that as Twitch grapples with the fallout from its giant data leak, a look at the impact on its streamers who had extensive revenue and personal data leaked. The leak of source code and some internal security files does not expose sensitive data, according to a former Twitch employee. Um, the leak was posted on 4chan, included source code, internal tools, a, and crucially spreadsheet that details how much money every streamer on the platform, including Twitch's biggest stars, make. And they've begun to analyze some of the files within the breach and have spoken to former members of Twitch's security team who believe that the stolen source code and scripts are not devastatingly sensitive. What is sensitive is the streamer revenue data and any potential personal information about the streamers that could come in future parts of the leak. 
I really hope that no major personal info gets out. Uh, people are going to be harassed for this info as it is now fully confirms what some sites have been trying to figure out through bots scanning channels. Real dollar values will push people to think differently about who they watch if it can't be discussed, disclosed. And next step for me is to communicate with my community about online security and how to stay safe. And Thomas Shadwell, a former Twitch security engineer, told Motherbird that the data related to security that's been leaked is not that sensitive and mostly older data. The security related code, uh, yeah, streamers already have an elevated model threat model because they're in public eye and deal with harassment from cyber threats constantly. Leaking the personal earning details for these streamers unfortunately increases their threat model even more. Cyber criminals often target individuals with definitive high net worth. Now that Twitch payout data is public, scammers may attempt to perform account takeovers on Twitch streamers' financial services accounts and steal their money. Yep, that's a problem. Okay, so that is the big headlines yeah of today and now we get into the tweets like this one from poppy about a new robot called leonardo which is a bipedal robot that can ride a skateboard and walk on a slack line and why is that important because you can't walk on a slack line i bet there's one percent of people anywhere who can walk on a slack line it's incredibly challenging to do and now there's robots that can do it. So they're becoming physically superior to the vast majority of humans. And this rate of progress, as Elon Musk says, in in our own lifetimes, these things will become vastly uh, mechanically superior to humans. They will perhaps even win gold medals against human gold medal athletes in the very near future, in our lifetime at the rate of progress they're making. Just something to think about. <laughs> Elon, by the way, Tesla themselves announced they're coming out with their own humanoid-like robot at their last big AI event day about a month and a half ago. He made, he made great pains to clearly state that the robot would be limited in its speed of its ability to walk and its strength to not outmatch humans. Why would Elon make a robot intentionally stating that it will only be able to walk about five, five miles per hour so that it could not chase you down? Researchers at Caltech have built a bipedal robot that combines walking with flying to create a, a new type of local motion, making it exceptionally nimble and able to ride a skateboard and walk a slack line. Fantastic. Next one from The Guardian. Uh, eye watering. Climate change disasters will cost Australia billions of dollars each year going forward. Catastrophes like floods and fires and floods could set the economy back more than $1.2 trillion, uh, even if action is taken. And this one also from Poppy. Uh, a company called Kite, spelled with a Y, K-Y-T-E, wants to build the foundation for autonomous rental car delivery. Rental cars delivered to your door. 
the easiest way to get a car. Kyle, a fleet logistics platform that allows customers to order rental cars delivered right to their doors, which would be kind of handy so you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole of renting cars, has raised 30 million Series A round. And I think short-term rental of cars, we already have the little micro-mobility scooters where you can rent a little scooter for to get you across a little part of town wildly popular and then you're getting get the electric bikes doing the same and then we just saw big investments into electric mopeds like vespas to do the same and why not cars and then the question is what if the cars had screen we have seen autonomous cars i saw a headline that we shared here 24 48 hours ago of the new autonomous lift cars which are now legal in san francisco and they're now legally allowed to make money and they have screens inside the car on the back of the where the driver would be seated and where the passenger front passenger would be seated there's big ipads on the back of the seats so when you sit in the back seats you look at these big screens now are we to assume that these screens might have advertisements and perhaps these advertisements might be related to the location where you're going maybe the competitor of the restaurant you're planning to go to offering you an offer to to dine next door to the place you told the car where to go and perhaps that advertising network will pay a good percentage of the price of the ride especially to bring you there it's like a shuttle correct which by the way that's how las vegas works (laughs) the strip clubs and casinos actually pay the taxis to bring you to those locations it's also how the tuk-tuks in thailand work that's why the tuk-tuk drivers more than happy to take you on a little tour of bangkok oh by the way we're just going to stop by this tailor and this gem shop who are having an unbelievable sale today that you must go in and take advantage of. It's been a lifetime. I've never seen anything like this, Tyler. I swear, you know, like this is such a good deal today. And also, speaking of Thailand, uh, Tyler, they, they somehow detour by a massage parlor as well. So I didn't get that. <laughs> For the record, Ellis <laughs> didn't stop at the massage parlor. <laughs> that was not Ellis. <laughs> my friend, my friend, I have a special deal only for you today. <laughs> it's like, I need to get to the hotel. Well, just go in and, and then I'll take you. I, take me now. <laughs> that was not the, LS. The old tuk-tuk trick. Oh, man. Uh, for those who don't know, what who's, who have not been to Bangkok, uh, you, you have much to look forward to. When, when the tuk-tuk driver approaches you outside of one of the big temples and says, oh, my friend, let me take you to the, to the other beautiful temple. On me, free of charge. Just hop in my tuk-tuk right here. You're, by, by, by the way, go ahead and take that tuk-tuk ride. You, you're going to have a, a ride to remember. And, nice, but, uh, but Tyler, what you have to put it in context. Okay, but Tyler, you have to put it in context. You, when you're talking about getting a ride and you're foreign from the U.S. and you're going to Thailand or Bangkok for the first time, second, once, you, once you're there, you learn. You're like trying to get to your hotel as soon as possible. And they are the ones who are the most hustlers. So they'll be like, oh, I'll get you there. You know, I'll get you there. <laughs> <laughs> See, so, 
So, well, so you know, wait, wait. Like I got to explain. I got to explain. So when you're in the tuk-tuk, they're, you're, they'll pull up to the temple next the to next to a van. And in that van, there's the driver of the van who's just sitting in the front seat of the van with the chair all the way back, kind of relaxed with the door open with his foot hanging out. You know, he's half asleep. And he'll proceed to tell you, oh, yeah, wow, you know, uh, you're lucky you came to Thailand today. You're in Bangkok today because the big annual sale at the tailor is going on today. Just tell your tuk-tuk driver, you know, make sure he drops you off at this uh, tailor. It's just right, right up there, just one block up the road. You can't, man, you're lucky you came today. They're practically giving away suits. You just, just go inside and see what they'll say. And little do you know that every person you encounter on this wild uh, journey is in on this scheme. It is uh, somebody needs to do a documentary on the whole. It's like the, the movie first, The Game, right? <laughs> yes, it's like the movie person, The Game. Yes. I didn't know that. So it's all strategized. you. And says, oh, oh, sorry, the temple is closed. Yes. They will open in two hours. <laughs> right. Let me take you on. A, exactly. I was and about then, to. Yes. Then someone else comes up and says, oh, really? You know, have you been in a tuk-tuk before? And then everything else that Tyler is just explaining. Right. You, you, you know what? My, my, my experience was otherwise, though, because a uh, long, long, long time ago, I went to Bangkok. And then we were looking for Hard Rock Cafe. And then we just asked uh, a Thai on the street. And then he virtually walked us all the way there. And. Just say bye bye to us and smile and go after that. We're like so. I'm like, what? He 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 woke us like fifteen twenty minutes just to just to get to Hard Rock Cafe. So I I thought all Thai people are very nice and friendly and smiling. Sure, but but Cheryl, you're you're a woman and you're Asian, and I'm African American and I'm an American. So when they see American, or at least when I went several years ago, it's just dollar signs because the only way you get to the hotel is you pay. Say, okay, I don't want to go to the massage. I need to get to the hotel. How much is it going to cost me to get to the hotel now? And I don't need more tours because, you know, I'm from the hood. So what does it take to get me? Oh, okay. Well, you know, and then you have to pay. That's how it works. Yeah, Yeah, but there are many Singaporean tourists in Thailand, right? I think Thailand knows where we are. Yeah. Okay. So the next one is from Poppy about... Uh, a pharmaceutical companies tackling antibiotic resistant superbugs with synthetic anti-infectives. So these are not traditional antibiotics because the superbugs are becoming antibiotic resistant. So we need to bring a whole new weapon into this war against superbugs that are now antibiotic resistance by making synthetic anti-infectives. And I can hear the anti-vaxxers screaming, in a future clubhouse room as we read this headline about synthetic uh, Does that include the synthetic chip too? Yes, no doubt uh, it will have a chip involved and no doubt Bill Gates is investing in this as we speak. I think so, Eli's asleep and the mental horsepower on my side is waning. So. So, Luminati. Luminati. <laughs> the BBC's reporting um about changing China, how Xi's common prosperity may impact the world. China is changing who it prioritizes as it grows its economy in ways that could affect us all. China says its policies aimed at narrowing the widening wealth gap are precisely what's needed in this moment of its economic trajectory, but critics say it comes with even greater control of how business and society will be governed. And while its common prosperity drive is squarely focused on people inside 
the country, it has the potential to have huge repercussions on the rest of the world. One of the most visible consequences of common prosperity has been the refocusing of corporate China's priorities to the domestic market. Technology giant Alibaba, which was in recent years has seen its global profile rise, has now committed $15 billion to help promote common prosperity initiatives in China and set up a dedicated task force spearheaded by its boss. The firm says it is a beneficiary of the country's economic progress and that if society is, is doing well and the economy is doing well, then Alibaba is doing well. Rival tech giant Tencent is pitching in too. Uh, it has pledged $7 billion to the cause. No, BBC. They've doubled that to $15 billion to match Alibaba. China is keen to show it is playing ball with the party's mandate. Uh, but when the push towards more companies publicly backing Xi Jinping's new vision first started, it did it did come as a bit of a shock. One major Chinese company told me privately, but then we got quite used to the idea. It's not about robbing the rich. It's about restructuring society and building up the middle class. And we are a consumption business at the end of the day. So it's good for us. So it sounds like the universal UBI, universal basic income. Um, being done the Chinese way very quickly. That didn't take long. Took about two months. <laughs> You're all going to be giving a bunch of your money back to build up these consumers that are consuming from you. And it's this article says that the luxury sector may lose out. If common prosperity means an increasing focus on the emerging Chinese middle class, then that could mean it is a boon for global businesses catering to these middle class customers. We can see that the focus on the young people getting jobs is good, says the president of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China. If they feel they are part of the social mobility of the country, which has been eroding, then it is good for us because then the middle class grows, then there's more opportunity. And Tyler, real quickly, just to deal with the Evergrande issue, there's been a lot of fallout for that on the middle class in China and losing money. So I think this is a, a method from the party to swing it back because they've lost a lot of money on those condos and yep. they'll never they'll never live in them. So Good, great point. Yeah, I also see this as an elevation to get, like, once you stop thinking about money so much, you can actually procreate, which is what China wants for the young people, as well as like starting families and all those things as well. Wearable health monitors help predict flu before symptoms start. They can even help determine how severe a flu or cold is going to be. This watch-like device that I just tweeted out. A human challenge trial suggests that wearable health monitors could help predict flu and cold infections before symptoms appear. I just, it's, it's, by the way, it's a crazy cool looking watch, but without a watch face. It looks like an Apple watch with an even cooler band. With an even cooler face, it looks like the world's coolest watch, but there's no time being given on the front of the face. But really cool device, and I love the idea of what it's doing. Uh, the next one is from David Crace in the audience from Bitcoin.com that the International Monetary Fund boss says central bank digital currencies are reliable. Hard to think of Bitcoin as money. And the next one is from Tomoko from Japan that the U.S. Navy warships Facebook account was hacked by Age of Empires player. Someone hijacked a Navy's warship's Facebook account so they could live stream 
from that location. So they can say, oh, I'm live streaming my uh, Age of Empires. I'm I'm coming to you live from this Navy warship. I mean, they could do that because on the fa- if you hijack their Facebook account, you can say this is where I'm coming from. Kind of a clever hack of their Facebook page. The next one's from CNN. Uh, Facebook whistleblower to talk again in another Senate hearing to a subcommittee on January 6th. The Facebook whistleblower who released thousands of documents that she says shows the company knows its platforms are used to spread hate and violence will appear again on January 6th. The next one from Tomoko from Nikkei Japan is that Apple and Google are under antitrust scrutiny in Japan for their mobile operating systems. The Fair Trade Commission probes the operating systems for potential market manipulation. And the next one from Anna Marie is now there's the World Health Organization now has a, a formal definition of long COVID. Today, the World Health Organization published the definition of post-COVID condition known as long COVID. And so the formal definition is now that post-COVID-19 condition occurs in individuals with a history of probable or confirmed COVID infection, usually three months from the onset of symptoms that last for at least two months and cannot be explained by an alternative diagnosis. Common symptoms include fatigue, shortness of breath, Cognitive dysfunction, perhaps due to brain damage, as we've heard in other headlines, and but also others, which generally have an impact on everyday functioning. Some t- symptoms may be new onset. Symptoms may also fluctuate or relapse over time. Okay, Tyler, since you mentioned Anna Marie, can I just mention something? Yes. Uh, her startup, Broom Standard, uh, the winner of 2021 uh, Vet Institute Pack Startup for Rare Disease Innovation Track, who are making great strides in the pure uh, digital health um, innovation space. So, Anna Marie, the CEO of uh, Broom uh, Standard, will be with us today on today's startup starting in about three hours' time, uh, half an hour, one and a half hour before tech news around the world for the next session. So, please join us and her and her co founder, Jacob. Uh, to share with us her, her startup stories and uh, Broom Standard. Yeah, let's end it there because I have Thank to you. I have to run to something and we still got so many headlines to get to, but we will yep. when we meet again in five hours and then we will do a Saturday session to cover all the crazy tweets. I still have 24 hours of tweets to go, but we got to run. So we'll take a subway Thanks, break. Sir. Thank you. Be safe. All righty. Eat, eat yep. safe. Have oh, a so- good afternoon. <laughs> Yep, eat fresh and be safe. Yeah, eat fresh. Okay. And drink water. Goodbye. Drink lots of water.